What's up, everybody? It's uh, Wes, Hank, and Andy, and we are back for uh, round two in our uh, weekly uh, <laughs> deluge of double drops mm -hmm. as we continue to cover both Star Wars The Bad Batch, which we did earlier this afternoon, and Star Wars The Mandalorian Season 3, which we are about to uh, jump into tonight. As always, it's 100% uh, interactive. Hope you've uh, brought your questions and comments, because I know I have some <laughs> about what's going on this week polarizing episode this week but uh we will get through it uh there are a lot of things that are redeeming about it now that is certainly my own opinion i don't know if you, you mm -hmm. got that i didn't find that it was a bad episode at all no i i don't know what people are talking about <laughs> it is uh chapter 19 the convert or if you prefer <laughs> I had some fun with this. Thanks, thanks to Andy for uh, helping uh, helping me put this one together. It is the Fandalorian chapter nineteen, the convert, or if you prefer, it's the Andor Lorian. They'll never see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you prefer the Orwell Lorian. Uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. <laughs> or how about even the nineteen eighty four Lorian? Uh, it was merely the substitution of one piece of nonsense for another. <laughs> All right, before we get uh, started on the breakdown, though, we got to open up that cage one more time because it is time once again for Bad Star Wars Jokes. As always, this week's uh, Bad Star Wars Joke comes uh, from the internet because that's where all of the fan outrage lives. Oh, I mean, uh, all the best Star Wars jokes live. <laughs> Guys, if you have a Bad Star Wars Joke that you would like us to read uh, over the air, uh, please do send it in to us at uh, Fanabar. Uh, three at gmail.com or hit us up on uh, all the socials because we're everywhere guys in the star wars universe what do you call an evil procrastinator hmm what do you call an evil procrastinator definitely not lord sidious he got stuff done <laughs> yeah that's true in the star wars universe you would call an evil procrastinator darth later <laughs> later there you go uh, you know, they're getting really uh these are getting pretty thin <laughs> we've got the top 10 already uh, i think so we're gonna have to start making up more there's only so many websites i can scour for these things <laughs> <laughs> all right this has been another installment of bad star wars jokes nice. before we get into the actual breakdown as always i like to get your initial thoughts guys what did we think of uh the convert uh, overall there we go i uh, amazing um we have so that's that's a we have an amazing yeah i wasn't expecting that no i i wasn't so, expecting that one of the things like people were complaining early in the season i didn't know what i was missing until i'd seen andor and now when i watch this it feels and that's not my opinion that's what people were saying on, on sure my. sure yeah now that i've watched andor and i go back to this i feel like i'm watching a cartoon again which you know interesting so interesting they, they're learning something here from from andor in a way you know what i mean there's it's all tied together all these you know even andor all these star wars stories are tied together thematically and you know there's different certainly different genre tales inside yeah, that yeah, you know yeah, yeah. we're about to get some we're about to get that the accolades is reportedly like a very dark sort of you know i had <laughs> said when we covered uh andor that with Andor as a series, there is now a flavor of Star Wars for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And now it looks like we're starting to mix and match with this episode. Uh, and so. 
but definitely like it it was structured strange like it felt like you said in the chat like it could have been two episodes or they you know i've seen uh memes or tiktoks of people here's how to watch it and then <laughs> fast forwarding through the whole middle of it and watching the the, the bookends like the oh, cold sure, opener sure. but it's not like what the middle stuff doesn't directly pertain so you could have done book of boba fett without that middle stuff you could have yeah yeah it was nice to see them together and some cool stuff happening there for sure you got to get grogu back but this pertains heavily to the subject matter at hand it really does and when we get to the end of the the discussion i i have a theory with ties right into bad batch and uh and before this, uh, show before we push it over to you andy let's let's take a second and check yeah, in with the comments, comments here. here uh lauren uh crazy i presume that is in response to your i loved it uh comment hank mm. um also so much info uh in the backstory agreed with that uh red swenson welcome back sir red says i liked it it's interesting to see what happened to the imperials after the war but i did not enjoy enjoy the jarring mando tease followed by coruscant noir followed by mando tease uh, that's good interesting stuff and then lauren uh mix and match dna as well it's right there in the title card isn't it <laughs> <laughs> andy how about you where are you at with the well, your thoughts picking it up right where it left off last week and then yeah kicking it into overdrive with the the dog fight if you will in space yeah and then continuing on and then to slow it down as much as they did i think yeah. is might be what jars people too much but yeah you can't just keep going at that breakneck pace, the whole thing and breaking it up like that. It gave you a good long chunk to absorb some yeah. of what else is going on outside of the convert. Uh, it does. The, it it uh, does. It does. Yeah. I think I share that opinion too. And this, this has been a common uh, sentiment across sort of the, the fan community over this last week. And I will say that I did find the structure of what I I'm calling it the episode within an episode mm. like that. I get that there are subplots and subtext and in the, in the course of a, of a feature film, I get that, that you, you follow the, you have your main plot and then you have your secondary plot. And in the course of a feature film, an hour and a half or two hours, it, it kind of works that way. But when you only, when you're talking about a television show, granted, this was the longest episode of the season. It really did feel a little jarring to have this, opening crescendo with the starfighter battle which i want to talk about mm -hmm. uh, specifically i feel like everything that happened in the opening like that whole starfighter battle that could have been tacked on to the end of the last episode and we could have opened right with pershing at the opera house done all of the coruscant noir stuff thank you uh, eric and then ended with Bo and and uh, din arriving at the covert we we kind of know exactly where this story takes place now yeah you know, if, if it didn't have bookends, right. This could have been happening anytime in that four year continuity where we're all yeah. getting kind of muddy. Like we're not, we're not sure exactly what John Favreau said entirely. <laughs> I will Something say like this. I think the reason why they pushed it all onto this episode was, you know, I believe, and again, it's not network television. There is no weekly shooting schedule. This thing is filmed completely in advance. But when you get down to the editing process and you know that you're going to reveal the mythosaur, I think there's a style choice that has to be made. Like, do we try to top this? We can't top this. And so that's the decision to, okay, we'll cut it off here. But structure wise, I still feel like the starfighter battle could have been a part of last week. 
It just feels like Game of Thrones to me. Like I, in a way, yeah. We jumped into Game of Thrones episodes or even chapters. Chapters is a really better example if you've read the books. Where sure. suddenly we're talking about people for pages and pages and pages, and we just want to get back to Arya sticking people. <laughs> That's <really laughs> right. So but, true. That's but so true. Th- this this stuff really matters, and I think there's a reason. You know, we're we're all a little confused why they were running Bad Batch and, and Mando concurrent, and I actually think there's yeah. a heavy duty reason now. And this episode precisely why this episode is placed where it's placed yeah this episode feels very much uh on the on trajectory with what we've been saying all along that both shows are pointing at the uh, at the sequel trilogy and yeah. really really apparent in this episode with the same with the same you know D- dave feloni's writing the next episode reportedly and the co-writing, same co-writing co-writing yeah co-writing and and executive producing both yeah there's a reason they overlap and there's a reason what inside them overlaps when it overlaps too. Well, I was going to save that to the end, but you've already mentioned it next week's episode. We get a big contrast. We are going from the longest episode of the series to reportedly the shortest episode of the series. It's called the foundling. And because of that, I made a joke about how uh, we talked about that earlier, the foundling. I'm like, Oh, it's going to be about Ragnar, not realizing that it was co-written by, by Dave. Knowing that, it, there's no way in my mind that next week will not be a Grogu-centric episode. Yeah. And such a short runtime, the leading theory is that we might finally get the answer to how he got out of the temple. So it's quite exciting. possible. Hence the uh, extended uh, Jedi scene in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a quick note on that Starfighter about a Starfighter battle before we get into it. Guys, if you're looking for new wallpapers for your phone, there's probably a million of them in there if you uh, frame by frame that thing. It is so good. Mm-hmm. It's dirty good. I, I got one more thought. Like, yeah, yeah, just sure. Based on the book ending of it, I'm glad they did it that way and not like, you know, a chunk at the Mines of Mandalore, then cut to Pershing, yeah. then back to the Star Battle, then back to Pershing. Because the way they did it, like both chunks are important. And that way they you can are. focus oh, they are. on those are. at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. You're right. It's I, like I if they cut it back and forth, it. like the soap opera, you know. It literally the person the lose. The yeah. person stuff happens over three days. He wakes and, up after you know. The, yeah. it happens over three days, and you can you can you can clock it kind of. There's a few references to you know. Let's do this tomorrow night, etc. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's easy to follow the passage. And of time literally, like I think that they jumped into space. This event happens. They they hyper jump back into where they're and going then going and back to the previous one where they were sleeping in hyperspace. Maybe it took them three days. That's exactly from, yeah. what I think. That's exactly why. That, and this puts it right there for a reason. Okay. Well, I, I, you know what? I can't argue with any of that. I mean, it's all very sound to me. I just was thinking from a, uh, from a production standpoint, I kind of like, oh, yeah, it's jarring. I get it, but no, you guys are, you're both dead on. I, I totally agree with it. All right. Are we ready to get into the breakdown? Let's do it. Yeah. Right. Well, this week <laughs> it is uh, <laughs> chapter 19. It is called the, uh, the convert. This one uh, aired uh, Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. It is uh, co-written by uh, John Favreau and Noah Clure. Now Noah Clure wrote seven episodes of uh, the book of Boba Fett, a show that we all very much enjoyed. Mm. This one is directed by uh, Lee Isaac Chung. He's the uh, director of uh, the film Minari, as well as Abigail Harm. He's also attached to direct the upcoming sequel slash reboot, Twisters. Do we really need a Twisters? That one? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, as I said, this was the longest episode of the series, not just the season, but the entire series. Advertised runtime of, of 59 minutes. Or... 
51 minutes and 44 seconds minus your uh, title cards and end credits, which is still, still more than one hour's worth of network television with commercials. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, around 41 minutes. Yeah, the, the average uh, Bad Batch, or sorry, the average Mandalorian episode has been right in that 38 to 45. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, very interesting to see that this one, uh, even without all that stuff, is still, it's long. <laughs> our episode synopsis this week reads on coruscant former imperials find amnesty in the new republic oh the episode opens with bo katan and din Djarin recovering on the steps that lead into the living waters mando is redeemed with bo katan as his witness and we learn that mando did not actually see the mythosaur and bo does not tell him either collects a sample of the living waters and together they depart the sundari undercity now the living waters that weren't uh, actually that deep apparently mm-hmm. as we find out so seismic activity what do we think about that we had some pretty strong thoughts about the mythosaur last week about is this a new creature is this the same creature as you know has it been living in there for centuries probably i would it takes think a while to get that big yeah i mean it, it's probably the same creature or we don't, we don't, there's so much we don't know. I went the other way with that. I actually proposed it's that this a is, a, that is a new one. Yeah. Especially when she says that the seismic activities from the bombing must have opened up a new chamber. Well, that's, mm. I mean, that's entirely possible. That the knocked thing, the bottom out of the, uh, looks like it can live waters, comfortably yeah. in those conditions, you know, and stuff like that. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, as you say, there is so much we don't know about this. Is it, uh, is it an aquatic creature? Is it kind of, is it, um, is it a mammal? Like, can it do both? Like a whale? Like, Amphibious. what are we talking about here? Is it is its poo what gives the uh, <laughs> the living waters the green glow? Is it's, that uh, what makes it green? <laughs> Mando magic, if you will. It's exactly. So maybe there is something magic about the waters after all. I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna have some would, questions about that later yeah, on as well, yeah. especially when we get to the uh, the dipping portion, the, uh, the the pouring portion. But her decision to, and we've seen that before too, right? Her decision not yeah. to say to say anything. It's almost her line of questioning is awkward and obvious. Is it did just you, uh, awkward and obvious to us? Did you uh, see something down there? Nope. What about you? <laughs> no. Like, like anything about? alive? Nothing. <laughs> like a big giant sort of like horned thing? Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Like a mythosaur? <laughs> so there, there was an interesting thing came out this week. Katie Sackoff at the South by Southwest, uh, I think, festival or, or convention. Or re- no, no, sorry, not South by Southwest. Uh, she gave an interview and they asked her, why did Bo-Katan not say anything? And Katie's answer. Now this is, I'm sure there's some diplomacy in her answer, but also she doesn't know the way the show is going to be written. She said that there's a part of her. Now this is Katie Sackoff speaking. What she thinks Bo-Katan's mindset is, okay. is that Bo is at a position where she's not sure if she believes her own eyes. She's in a state of shock. Shock. Yeah. Mm. full on shock value which i find to be completely interesting i'm still of the still processing it yeah sure i still think that there's a uh the gears are still rolling i mean she's been so singular of purpose since we met her all the way back in the clone wars it's all been about the leadership and the ruling of the of mandalore but i don't think that is... that's i don't think that's gone no and and she it's it's a good poker card to keep that secret and safe if you will. Yeah. 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 I'm Balrog. <laughs> um, do, do, yeah. We, do we know much about Mandalore in the way of like the inner core workings, the planet itself? Yeah. You know, this is the first time we've, we've ever gone this far below the surface. Fair enough. Yeah. Cause I, I wonder mean, if it's something like uh, on Naboo where there's a hollow core. Oh, and, right. You know, right. large creatures just come and go as they will. No, that's 
Oh, good point. Very good but point. Until we actually find out. Now, Red says, I fully expect Bo to vanish for the season and to reappear in the last episode, riding the Mythosaur and challenging Din for the Saber. We have some interesting thoughts about that as yeah. well. And I don't know. I don't know if my my personal feeling is that doesn't line up with the way I think it's going to go. I think those two things are diametrically opposed. Bo-Katan and the Mythosaur. No, the Mythosaur and the Darksaber. Ah, right. That they actually are not linked. But like yeah. one is a representation of the old history of this guy rides in on that. That's your king. So the original tale is or, the Mythosaur. And we, and that's correct. According yeah. to canon now, which is different from legends, what we're used to, but yep. Mandalore the Great tamed the Mythosaur and became yep. ruler of Mandalore and united the clans. That's that correct. was eons. Yeah. Before yeah, yeah. Before Vizla created yeah, the Darksaber. Darksaber Dark Saber is a sigil to remind people of the power and magic of the Mythosaur. But interesting. Uh, I like that actually. But I so like the, the now there's that. two claims to a throne here. So that's why I think we're like gonna, like I said in the chat, I think we're gonna faction off here. And I don't. I, I think one person could claim them for that. Yeah. You know, like one person could ride the Mythosaur Grogu, and and another person yeah. could wield the dark saber, and those factions will butt heads because they're they're also both different ideologies. They are different ideologies. We're going to get to that at the end because there's there's some other like white mythosaurs in the room, if you will, by the time we get to the end of the episode that really kind of pull all this these wise hows together. But Eric is actually hitting on one of those right now, uniting the old and the new. That is something that I have always believed uh, was going to happen over the course of the series, that there would be a blending of. And it's something that we as a as a as hosts have talked about uh, that ties back into your factioning thing, Hank. Otherwise we go back to Bo-Katan's line about Mandalorians killing Mandalorians for reasons that are too complicated to explain. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to do that. No, but we do want to go back to her other line. There is another way. There is another a new way. way. Yeah, that's true. United. That's true. Both. Yeah. A way that she's probably not even aware of herself when until, she said it. Yeah. Until she got glimpse of, uh, Oh look, the ancient parts actually yeah. real. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well then, departing Mandalore, Bo and Din head for Kalevala, but are attacked by five TIE Interceptors. Mando says if they can get to Kalevala, he can use the N1 to reinforce her mid-flight. But the heat is too much for them, and Mando has to take up the rear gunnery station. Bo then dives into the planet's atmosphere, makes a high-speed pass over her ancestral castle, while Mando is able to take out one of the fighters before he jetpacks down to the N1, and launches it just before it's struck by cannon fire from one of the four remaining ties. <laughs> crazy. What a crazy action uh, sequence to, yeah. to start this off. If, if we didn't know the N1 was fast before. <laughs> James yeah. Bond level yeah, yeah. cold open. Yo, loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Now, one of the major things that came out of this, besides the, just the intro to the battle, and, and I actually took some time, I, I broke the battle down sort of in stages by like, each ties destruction something happens here where as they're leaving mandalore bo-katan basically offers to to bring him in for a meal and then says something to the effect of but i'm guessing that helmet's never coming off and then there's this exchange between the two of them mm -hmm. and we get something from grogu i want to play it for you guys so we can actually talk about this because there's been a lot of chatter about this sort of on the uh on the internet now here's what happens this is the way this is the way we've never heard a vocalization from grogu like that before no no 
Now, the popular theory is he's trying to say this is the way. And if you listen to it, there are three distinct vocalizations there. It, it could very well be that. This is way. I mean, they even look, Bo and Din both look at each other right. and they have this like, what the heck just happened? Right. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. This is the way. The way. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to hear it again? And, yeah, let's do it. Let's hear it again. This is the way. This is the way. Yeah. This is the way. Or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. Now, there's something else going on here, too. Um, when they get attacked and they realize that they're being pursued by uh, interceptors, there's a whole discussion about, like, where did they come from? Yeah. And <laughs> she, sa she basically says, I've scugged off a lot of warlords in my time. To which Din says, well, that's what happens when you steal their ships. Um, <laughs> is the two-year absence thing or the two-year time jump thing presenting a problem here? Because not knowing anything at this point in the episode, my mind goes to, did it really take the Imperial Remnant two years to come calling? Or are they after Mando and Grogu? Because, like, how long has yeah, she been sitting on that throne just chillaxing? Two years. Do you know what I mean? Like two years since so, the end of season two. Because like they could roll onto the planet and just do what they were about to do with her sitting there. I guess so. Maybe not. Maybe years. they picked their trail up from Mandalore. You know, for everybody to bail out on her and take those ships, the uh, the Gideon's cruiser, mm -hmm. the 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 Gozanti, and take off. You're telling me that nobody came looking for those for, for two years and only now they're just showing up and exacting some kind of revenge because not knowing what we think we know, that's what it looks like. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 We could just yeah. speak to a presence of like, remember I, I, I talked the last episode, like what I figured there'd be some kind of Imperial presence on Mandalore, like, but yeah. so maybe there's just a fleet in the system. Yeah. Red's got a good question here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna segue right into that here. He says, or is this related to a certain prisoner's rumored escape? That's a very good point because now we can talk about the things that we think we know. Mm. And what we think we know based on a line of dialogue that's coming is that Moff Gideon is in is in the wind somewhere. Mm -hmm. He didn't make it, he may not have made it to the to New the war Republic tribunal. War Tribunal. Mm -hmm. So he could still be pulling the strings. Now, I have another thought on that. And I'm not discounting that. That's entirely possible. And it's probably likely. But I, you know what we are like here? We like to, we like to Hail Mary. Now, let me throw a Hail Mary at you. I, I've talked about this before. Uh, we've talked about it collectively. There's a lot of symbolism in Star Wars. This, this is the first time in the course of the Mandalorian that we've seen TIE Interceptors. Yeah, that's a whole other level of uh, mm -hmm. Imperial. We really do. I mean, the Empire Strikes Back uh, and Return of the Jedi taught us both that the Interceptor is like the next level uh, TIE. If Moff Gideon, who was the big, the, the overarching big bad for seasons one and two, and we associate him with TIE LNs or standard TIEs. Yeah. Is the presence of TIE Interceptors a way of telling us that there's a bigger Imperial bad? That something has stepped up. And if that's the case, we already had some foreshadowing with the Purgles. Is this another way of foreshadowing the return of Grand Admiral Thrawn? E. I think both of them are valid. Equally possible. Yeah. I do think that it's going to be Gideon, but I still like the idea that it's not. 
maybe it's Gideon under control of that next level. So Dang, that's, that's another thing, which yeah, would explain how he yeah. got out. Man, I, I love yeah. the way you're thinking because that's precisely what I was going to say with the sure. Imperial remnant, we go back to legends and we talk about some of the, the remnant, like warlord Zinj and the other guys there, they were fighting each other as much as they were fighting anything else. Yeah. Do you think that Gideon in the absence of Thrawn, who's been gone now since, uh, since before the events of a new hope mm-hmm. has just turned up what now uh, five, 10, 12 years, uh, 12 years later, you think Gideon is in a position to want to give up anything that he's eked out for himself because a higher ranking officer shows up. Yeah. Because the higher ranking officer is about to save his ass from going to the chair. So let's, let's take that out of the equation though. Let's presume that that Thrawn did not break uh, break Gideon out that Gideon has his own. Now, remember he's been presented to us as a very ruthless ISB officer. And we've seen what the ISB is capable of doing in Andor. We could have two Imperials directly at odds with each other. True. That could put them in conflict. And I think that's an interesting Hmm. exploration. It's quite possible, but I think it, I think it's probably more likely that it's foreshadowing. Like the, there's a few things here. Like there's yeah. there's multiple types of ties. The the sheer yeah. number of ties. I said yeah. earlier that if it had been, if even if there was just one, if there had been a single tie defender in that mix, yeah, then we Un- would have known. One, it's like unequivocal. 100%. But like you yeah. say, it's foreshadowing. But I don't think it's foreshadowing to anything happening in this season or yeah. even maybe yeah, in yeah. this series. But I think it's bigger world foreshadowing. I think it's slow. You know, the appearance of Thrawn, like they did with Gideon at the end where he cut his way out of the tie with the Darksaber. The appearance of Thrawn on the bridge of a Star Destroyer in the final minutes of the final episode of the season. I can see something like that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Interceptors can jump, right? They cannot. They can't. They cannot, yeah. So then... There's got to be something close by. There is a support ship. Then then exactly. Then it's the new new hope. uh, Yeah line comes into phrase like a, a fighter that size can't get this deep into space on its own on its own that's correct red says i think you're they're throwing you off your game <laughs> i appreciate your witty banter sir yeah but it'd be a nice way to just bring them in without having to drop everything for ahsoka sure oh, oh yeah looking foreshadowing ahead well there is that too one more thing i want to talk about in this sequence and this is just you know sometimes i, I like to nitpick I'm, and i'm going to pick a nit did anybody notice the magical rock, uh, the magical jetpack? Turns out the pram's not the only magical thing that appears and disappears. <laughs> so there's a like there's a that's that cut when we cut to uh, Din sinking down into the N1 seat, the jetpack is gone. Hmm. But world building, it tells us that the cockpit is technically big enough for him to fit in there with it on because we're supposed to believe that he was wearing it when he jumped in. Yeah. So that's interesting. Maybe the seat just reclines enough. All right. Well, it locks him in place. Yeah. 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 Really. I don't know. They could cut it out like the back seat of a police cruiser. You know, yeah. they cut that out for the, for the, not, not that I've ever been, but the handcuff yeah. cubby. Yeah. Yeah. If you just cut out a jetpack cubby, there you go. You know what I mean? Like it's just molded plastic or something. Makes for a better toy. Maybe. <laughs> I just want to preface this next, as we go through this, I just want to preface that I think that this might be one of, if not, the best live action starfighter battle in star wars across the board i'm talking feature film yeah it is it is so good it feels like the animated fighter it really does it really 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 does and that stuff like you know and i thought that about 
the the finale of episode or season one too, where he yeah. he fires his jetpack for the first time and then grabs you know he's riding Gideon's yes. eye fighter yeah, yeah you see him jump out of the out of the uh, out of both ship and, and gauntlet, like free yeah. fall <laughs> like that's that's some rebel stuff that's the kind of things we see from Jedi absolutely and, and clones in the Clone Wars yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's really nice to see that stuff work. I think you, could, you could call it reckless abandon. <laughs> yeah, it's so good too. He, he didn't. He didn't hit like all fancy and superhero landing. Man, he like you know. No, no, <laughs> he's like. I felt that one. My awesome. knees are going to be feeling that awesome for the stuff. next month. <laughs> all right. Well, Mando pulls a very Batwing-like maneuver when he puts the N1 into a steep climb to the point of coming to a full stall, and then he rolls the ship laterally into a nosedive, going head to head with the tie that nearly destroyed his N1. You don't quite have the shot orientated the same, but it's the first time I noticed that that from that angle, yeah, the N1 looks like the Mandalorian visor. Oh, it kind of does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the T-shape. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. At extreme close range, he lets loose with a single proton torpedo, then narrowly dodges the wreckage, pulling out of the dive just above the ocean and announces to Bo that he's on his way to her. Not wearing a jet. <laughs> Bo pushes her fighter inland over some craggy mountains and cliffs while the remaining three ties stay glued right to her rolling over one of the peaks into a narrow canyon Bo scrapes one of her gauntlets wings while an unfortunate uh, tie thunders head on into the canyon wall she then dives low into a watery inlet and banks her ship hard just a few meters above the water when suddenly another one of the ties is struck by green blaster fire and erupts in a ball of flaming wreckage. I actually love her witty banter, like her reassuring banter with R5. Yeah, she says something to the effect of, uh, don't worry, I grew up flying these cliffs. And, and then immediately smashes her wing off the cliff. And then, and then, uh, yeah, punctuates it with the, it's been a while. And I, I love the, the sharp turns, like dip the wing in the, in the water. And, oh, and yeah. Oh man, this is really nice stuff. And we get a sorry, go ahead, Hank. Oh, just I, you know, the, the, the I could see where all the money is. We get a reinforcement of that personality that we're starting to learn from R5, where he kind of cowardly rolls back. Yep. <laughs> R5, the anxious droid. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Mando's N1 streaks into view in hot pursuit of the remaining two TIE fighters while uh, Bo continues to jink. She thanks him for the backup, and the two of them split up, and they return to the coastline. And with Bo acting as bait for one of the interceptors, Mando is able to use the rocky terrain to his advantage and get the drop on another fighter. Now, just with one tie uh, left, Bo cuts the power to her port engine, and she throws the starboard wing into its vertical landing position. The resulting drag slings the ship a full 180 degrees, bringing her nose to nose with the lone remaining tie interceptor. And she cuts it down with her forward facing cannons before gravity catches up and pulls her ship into free fall. Mm. R five gets the, gets to experience weightlessness in a whole new way as he floats up in the cabin before Bo jams the throttle, reigniting the port engine and pulling out of the stall just above the water. Uh, Then Bo and the Mandalorian head back to Castle Kreeze to make sure both ships didn't sustain any real damage during the battle. And if that is not the most Starbuckian thing ever mm-hmm. in Star Wars, mm-hmm. 
anybody who's watched the reimagined Battlestar Galactica will recognize that. Um, I'm instantly, I'm like, oh, that's a Starbuck thing. Yeah, it was absolutely. so good. The yeah. Vipers are so <laughs> the Vipers are so maneuverable compared to uh, uh, Star Star Wars ships. Doug says, uh, "Too fast, yeah, too furious, yeah." Bo Katan uh, drift, Mandalorian seriously, drift. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, going back to the Battlestar thing, just the way that the the Vipers move. I mean, and yeah. again, that's a different kind of science fiction where totally is. Yeah. They treat space a little bit more like actual space. So they 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 no there are friction. entire sequences, yeah, with ships flying backwards, like they're dogfighting in reverse, and yeah. and it really works. But what a cool nod to see Katie, Katie basically pull off the same move in this franchise, and yeah. I I loved it. Yeah, it's wicked. And not to not to forget that we are in the planet's gravity well. So yeah. like she she only has a f- couple seconds and... before she's in like a like literal she's yeah. falling flat yeah. spin free fall yeah. yeah yeah atmosphere and environmental conditions to contend with yeah well after some very brief congratulations an alarm rings on Mando's cockpit as they witness a bunch of tie bombers actually destroy Cree's uh, castle. Enraged, Bo pushes out in front of Mando's N1 and she shoots down one of the bombers with a missile. But the blips on Mando's scope just keep coming and he beckons her to leave. Bo is blinded by rage and Mando has to actually cut his N1 across her bow to get her attention. And the two of them flee Kalavala with no less than 20 TIE interceptors chasing them. And they Mm. jump to hyperspace just in time for us to get our title cards. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the sequence where we get the, that's a lot of ships for an Imperial Warlord. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 interceptors. All seemingly coming out of nowhere. Which really blows you that, that Legends uh, um, convention where ties fly in, in uh, flights or squads of three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 20 don't break down into three nicely. No. Well, how many did they blow up already? That's true. Uh, six. Uh, that's still six. that up. Yeah. One so, shy. Yeah. <laughs> Doug. Who can it be now? Do, 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 do. Who can it be now? Uh, we, we don't. We don't get a concrete answer. Yeah, we don't even get to see any of the pilots. We don't get. Yeah, no, we did see one pilot. Did we see one? We yeah. saw one pilot, and okay. there were no. There was nothing distinctive nothing identifying. to yeah, nothing. Nothing. It makes sense that that there's probably a military presence around Mandalore. Like even the Republic doesn't F with Mandalore. Everybody just thinks it's a dead world. So it's a good place to hide realistically. You would think so. Well, now this is, so, this is Kalabala. Yeah. Well, but the same, same, same system. system. Yeah. Same system. So, and picked them up just off Mandalore, intercepted them just off Mandalore. That's on their right. Way and to then chase them down. So yeah. it feels like, yeah, exactly. So even if it's not, and it is. <laughs> it, it fits in line with Din Djarin talking to Grogu saying, and I've never been there either, but you see that world over there, Concordia, right. that's where I grew up. And, yeah, and, and if yeah. you if you dig into the, the history of Concordia at the height of the Imperial reign, they hid out on Concordia. Like they were like, the Death Watch was like banished there. And because of that banishment, that's the reason they were able to survive. Right. Mm-hmm. So they've got to be good at hiding. Hence. The Mandalorian coverts. Mm-hmm. Doug, you were right, sir. I am right there with you. You yeah. said it, Thrawn. And I'm not opposed to that being Thrawn. I think that there is a 
there, there is a strong contention there. As we also said, uh, we got the glimpse of the purgle. We did get the glimpse of the purgle. That was uh, what two epi- last episode, last episode, sleeping in hyperspace. Mm-hmm. It's all entwined. It it's is. It absolutely is. Yeah. Got, uh, sorry. Like, go ahead. Ahsoka this summer, right? Late summer, late That's August, true. early September. Like it's coming. That it's true. just around the corner. That so, is true. yeah, these things. Yeah. Eric reminding us that a tie complement on the average Star Destroyer is 70 to 100, depending on the class. While if it's Thrawn, it will be Imperial class. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. So um, I did a bit of a time check on that. The prologue for this episode was over eight minutes. I have seen feature films with a shorter prologue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're going to change gears because dun, 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 on Coruscant, we find uh, Dr. Pershing has been granted amnesty as part of a New Republic program to rehabilitate former Imperials who may have been pressed into service. Now, he's giving a speech at the Opera House about how his research was corrupted and twisted into something cruel. He implies that one person was intent on using cloning technology to secure more power for himself. Now, even though Pershing was directly serving under Gideon, I presumed himself yeah. to be the emperor. Yeah. Did you yeah. guys get a different sort of spin on that? No. No, I no, mean because they're all still serving. Yeah. He could be he could mean several individuals, you know, and not realize it too. But there's something super important that that I want to talk about uh, at yeah. you know, more hammered down on at the end of the episode. Okay. All right. But he does say a detail here about uh, taking two types of DNA and combining Absolutely, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a super important point to what I have to say later. So let's just remember that, everyone. Well, surprisingly, the unnamed communications officer from Moff Gideon's cruiser back in season two, surprise, is not actually dead. And uh, in fact, she's present for Pershing's speech, albeit she was late. Now, Pershing talks about losing his mother to heart failure at a young age and how simple organ cloning could have prevented that. And he goes on to call the Kaminoans' ability to duplicate an individual from a single strand mm-hmm. groundbreaking. And then he outlines how his research focused on combining the best genetic attributes of multiple donors. And that's exactly the sequence that we're looking at right here. Exactly. Is the uh, multiple donors. So in one phrase, though, he's gone from, okay, we could save lives that need it by yeah. the same person, or we could start mixing people and get super soldiers. Absolutely. Without that is, that is, so that, I mean, that ties in later when he talks yeah. about the ethics of cloning, right? Yeah. Like how, what you do with it, you know, sure. Cloning for medical application, absolutely life-saving yeah. technology. Cloning for military application, something altogether different. So I got the, I got a couple of questions regarding this scene. Um, does every member or does every participant in this amnesty program have to go into the opera house and basically go into public confessional? It seems that way, but does it, uh, does it smack of Chinese communism to you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like Maybe? They, they publicly shame people like this and they did, especially in the, in, you know, the, in the fifties, 1949 like as Mao Zedong was mm-hmm. taking over there was public humiliation forums as right. part of your re-education it, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, I mean yeah. that stuff's not lost on me when you like when we talked about you know meet the meet the new boss meet the this, new boss same as the old boss they're, yeah. they're gonna start pulling back these layers that just like yeah uh, 
really paint there, how, how serious, horrendous how nothing has changed. I don't know if you would you call it a, a, a complimentary contrast. I mean, that whole like, yeah, it's the new republic, but nothing's really changed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the, the, as we're going to see the Coruscant elite, uh, they they nothing's changed in the co- yeah. the course of their lives. Right, Still parading around like yeah. nothing's wrong. There, yeah, yeah. There's just literally a different poster on the main building. Quite literally. And I mean, this is where, I mean, if you, if you're just tuning in now and you missed the, uh, the intro, uh, we had some alternate title cards that really talked about the Orwellian state. Is this the first, the first example of the episode that we're, we're actually seeing that in effect? Yeah, for sure. It is for sure. the ear pull, the nervous ear pull. What's hmm. going on there? Is that just a tick for him? Like, a? does he know what he's about to get put into? I think he's genuinely remorseful, really. Because, like, at this point, he could be making a legitimate play for, like, you know, my research could have been good or yeah. for good applications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please let me continue it. Or if he already knows where he's about to go. Well, he does you're on time. a grand stage. There's no better time to make that. Uh, yeah. He does it a couple a, more times. There's a couple more times. One of the times he does it, I, I like, I if I at the risk of not remembering it when we're covering that he does it when he's lying standing in the mirror standing in the mirror when he's when he's telling himself that he's doing the right thing Mm -hmm. and he when he tells the 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 robot that uh everything's fine the second the second oh sure sure the parole droid so yeah we gotta examine exactly what he says here and and he's doing the same thing and i think it's a nervous i think it's like you know it's a trauma uh, that's right back to thing. the yeah because he pulls on the ear right when he talks about he's like my mother you know died when i was really young that's yeah. when he does it yeah so i i honestly think that like i don't know there there might be a misdirect here i know that she uh is nefarious and cranks up the the juice on well him, but she really does yeah but there's another thing too he in, could be the, the flashback when uh from season one where yeah. he finally sees grogu and he's like "Ooh, new toy yeah and yeah, it's yeah. like whoa, whoa, whoa that's another living creature you're just happy as crap you're about to cut him up his enthusiasm the same oh, wait, his discretion that's not necessarily true because when they blast in to rescue him the first thing he does is he throws himself over the table he crouches down and says no please don't it's only a child hmm. so he was quite protective yeah. of grogu when when he was in custody i guess hmm. Um, I took the liberty of uh, trying to uh, mock up the uh, the amnesty pin on their uniform. Uh, everybody in the program apparently wears one of these. Um, I couldn't really pick out the heraldry out of it, other than to say this: the major feature of the pin is a, a giant stylized letter A in the Orabesh uh, alphabet. So A for mm-hmm. amnesty, I suppose. Yeah, it makes more sense. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The orange dots. I don't know if they represent time. Like who knows? Who knows? But I thought it'd be interesting to at least take a, a, a closer look at those. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, just catching up here at the chat for a second. Doug uh, says, uh, it's the same people. So what is there to change? Yeah, no, you're you're right on that one. No new taxes. All right. And just for, <laughs> just for fun, uh, yeah. because we're here, I wanted to uh, take a look at the Opera House and let's throw it up against the last time we saw the Opera House back in uh, episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Um, not much has changed, <laughs> really. No. no, it's identical. Kind of funny, though, that uh, he's there now talking about cloning 
Yeah. And last time we saw it, Palpatine was like, you know, pathways to the unnatural. Oh, yeah. About, this uh, is, yeah. That, that's into that factors heavily into, into, the, into the theory, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Everything is connected. Yeah. Well, outside the opera house, Dr. Pershing is fawned over by some of the Coruscant elite. Now, they make pleasantries about how it must be nice to work for a government that appreciates him. Of course, none of them actually care about him or his work, seeing as it is actually outlawed. Uh, no, they only care about their own status and what bragging rights they'll have by rubbing elbows with one of the latest amnesty participants. At least that's Bra- why Brave New World. It's more Huxley yeah. or more Orwell. Sorry. It's brave like, New I world. saw an Imperial. <laughs> no, Human exactly. Zoos. They get, Human yeah, zoos. Exactly. Look at it. It's a, yeah, it's a living uh, zoo attraction. Yeah. Right. Take my that's picture a, with that's exactly what it is. That's yeah, totally what they're doing. Uh, there's an interesting line from the doctor as he's coming down the stairs. He turns to the gentleman that's with, uh, beside him and he's and he says, the first casts rejected the formula almost immediately. Uh, another reminder that his his research, his work is incomplete. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is incomplete. And that's going to factor in quite heavily by the time mm-hmm. we get to the end. All right. And then uh, our weird looking uh, elite guy. Talks yeah. He talks about, um, and, and this sort of uh, leans into the whole, we don't really care thing. Uh, I was almost drafted. Imagine me serving. Um, and then he says a thing about uh, empire rebels, new Republic. I can't keep track. Again, well, right. that doesn't Nothing tell you. Yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's their perspective. And it, it's the honest perspective because nothing would change. It's the, it's, it's all about, uh, was that uh, officer in, uh, season two um it's all about order yeah people, yeah people, yeah people think they want freedom but they want order and at the I end of the day a, these large power bases that's 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 the mandate right i, I made a note how i felt that, that this whole sequence this whole scene here with the elite actually felt like like an obscenity given how 100 percent. yeah given how remorseful and how genuine pershing is and what they are doing to him it was just like it was almost sickening to watch it like, Oh, so, so bad. And you know, you don't have to like the sequels, but you can see how the, like the lore. Yeah. How, how, you know, how the first order would pop up and it doesn't, it feel like now the first order might be the rebellion to this in some ways. Right? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's becoming much easier to see how something could grow. Could grow in, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Doug just follows up with uh, saying, it's the same people. So what is there to change? Yeah, of course it is. Oh, that's the same comment as before. I double read that one. It's the, yeah, same, it's comment. the same comment. So what's the same comment? So what is there comment? to change? I don't know. <laughs> it's so true. And the Moncala. I think you deserve the best. Oh, I think you deserve the best, doctor. He doesn't care. No, not at all. Yeah. It's like, where, where's the snacks? <laughs> that's, you know. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting thought. Eric says, very Hunger Gamesy. Oh, interesting. The whole cased, uh, cased society. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, uh, later we catch up with Dr. Pershing riding home in an open air taxi. Now, the cabbie droid turns its head a full 180 degrees and it tries to make some small talk congratulating the doctor for making it into the new Republic amnesty program. And the droid suggests some places to visit the Pershing nervously points at the droid to uh, pay attention to where it's driving and they speed away. He's got sensors in the back of his head. Well, and here's, here's the thing. The droid in this instance is uh, based uh, heavily on the uh, original Ralph Macquarie art for C-3PO. So, 
Presumably, mm-hmm. this is some kind of homage uh, to that pr- protocol droid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not the first time we've seen a droid with this look, though. Back in uh, Star Wars Rebels uh, season three, uh, we got what's called the EXD infiltrator droid, which also uh, shares the same sort of head design. Mm-hmm. Although that's definitely yeah, not when it goes, it goes that way. Yeah, not a protocol droid. Uh, in fact, a very specialized uh, reconnaissance droid. Now, um, the droid says a couple things. It says, uh, you must be sure to visit the Skydome Botanical Gardens. And, of course, the Skydome Botanical Gardens first appeared in the uh, 1994 Legends novel, uh, Jedi Search. Now, that's uh, book one of Kevin J. Anderson's Jedi Academy trilogy. Interesting uh, by note about that book. I can't tell you why, but I once cut all the Ks out of that novel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's not, and it's actually uh, the first of a couple of references from that trilogy to make it in here. He also recommends uh, the Galactic Museum has a wonderful new exhibit on hyperdrive technology. Now, the Galactic Museum uh, first appeared in uh, issue number one of the 1994 Legends comic Tales of the Jedi: The Freedom Nad Uprising. Hmm. So that's kind of cool. I will say this though: the taxi driver droid here, yeah, mm. is much less off-putting. Than yeah. say a Johnny Cab driver from Total Recall. <laughs> Funny, I, I. Why did I know you were going there with that? Nice. I don't know why, but I told. I knew this where it was going. Automated taxi droids. <laughs> this is way uh, better. It doesn't ta- look like the taxi is the uh, open air uh, transport. Uh, same model as the Cad yeah. Bane uh, transport. There, sh- there's so many open air. I went back and I looked at the, uh, a lot of the, the, like the air traffic sequences and there's yeah. like, there's, there's just a few sort of common themes that sort of repeat themselves over yeah, and over right, and over right, again. Right. This tends to be one of them. Yeah. Arguably it's the same uh, class of speeder that, um, uh, that they used when they left the, uh, the platform when, when, uh, Padme came to Coruscant in episode uh, it's probably two. probably true too. Yeah. 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 The paint it yellow, like the Lego game. No, exactly. Yeah. 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 It is yellow too. Although it's kind of faded. Well, it's been a while. Yeah. Well, arriving at uh, amnesty housing uh, or the amnesty housing complex, I should say uh, the cabbie droid is actually still rambling on about places to visit on Coruscant. Now Pershing exits the vehicle and he makes his way into the complex where he's stopped by a group of amnesty participants who uh, are drinking at a picnic table. Now, Moff Gideon's communications officer just happens to be among them. Well, the doctor nervously averts his gaze as he said that he didn't expect to find anyone here from Gideon's ship. A fact that, uh, that she has kept from the other program participants up until now. But what's more troubling are the rumors surrounding Moff Gideon himself. One of the men says that he heard Gideon had escaped en route to the war tribunal. While another one says, no, no, that's just the cover story because he was really hooked up to a mind flare machine. The comms officer, she says that she really doesn't think about him anymore. And she's just happy to be able to help the new Republic, like the rest of them. Um, in the sequence, when they roll in the cab droid is still talking and the, I want to talk about the conversation itself because there's a, there's a thing it says, do you think that this conversation that the droid has with him is a, is a pre-programmed set of talk about these places? You know how, when we were at Navarro the recently, the driver was like, go visit this. Yeah. Tour, visit tourist droid. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like protocol. the cab driver is doing the same thing here? Yeah. I say that because 
uh, where does he see here? Um, the, the droid says, let me just see here. It says, um, I found, I, first person, it says, I found the Montebog of Malastare utterly, and then it, it trails off as they pull up to his stop. Mm-hmm. Man, we've talked a lot about droids on the show and sort of droid rights and droid sentience. Does that that suggest to me that this droid has working has science. working hours and outside of that has maybe actually visited the uh, the museums and all these places as a tourist? Mm. Oh, it's possible because he's not delivering it the same way the protocol droid. No, did, that was like you know exit order tourism. That's right. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up sort of the, the conversation points that he has, uh, he may, makes reference to the Holographic Museum of Extinct Animals. Now, that is from the second book of the Jedi Academy trilogy. That's, uh, sorry, Dark Apprentice, back from 1994. The Montebog of Malastare uh, is another uh, Legends reference. It's an animal native to native to Malastare, same uh, planet as... Uh, the Zillow Beast. Uh, Montebogs were a type of blanket-shaped airborne constrictor, and they were first mentioned in the 2003 Star Wars role-playing supplement Coruscant and the Core Worlds. Yet another uh, direct nod to this episode taking place on Coruscant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Pershing says uh, he was just transferred from the Reintegration Institute. Now, the uh, cab droid himself, I'm going to go through this because this is an interesting uh, little thing here. Here's everybody at the table. Our, uh, start with our cab driver droid. That's uh, Dylan Fershane. Now, this is his only acting credit. He's actually the associate editor for the entire series. Nice. <laughs> he was also the first assistant editor uh, back on Solo. Um, we have, uh, obviously, we have uh, uh, L52. That's our uh, scientist, uh, Dr. Pershing. Oh, why didn't I put that in there? Oh, sorry, L52. So uh, Pershing, that's uh, Omid Abtahi. Uh, you may recognize him as Amid on American Gods. Now, we have uh, we have one of those things where it kind of gets messed up again, where the guy who introduces himself as Amnia, Amnesty Officer M34 is actually identified as M40 in the credits. So these, <laughs> these two guys have to switch. But that's uh, Matthew Bellows. He played uh, Dr. Clint Hartman for six episodes of the amazing uh, medical drama, New Amsterdam. Uh, Then we have uh, G27. That's uh, actor James Chen. Now, he played uh, analyst Ian Lim on uh, 54 episodes of uh, FBI. Mm. Uh, And then we have our other M34, M40. That's Max Fowler. And that is uh, actor Crispin Stickley. Uh, he played Crispin Stickley on the series Powers. Now, I've I've not seen that series, but uh, it sounded like it was pretty good. Man, I haven't seen it. Basically, uh, superheroes living, uh, um, uh, basically, uh, police investigating superhero crimes hmm. or superpowered crimes. And of course, G68, that is uh, Katie O'Brien. Now, she just recently played uh, Jen Tora, or as I like to call her, the uh, Quantum Barbarian on mm-hmm. Ant Man and, uh, and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So there, there's all your players. Hmm. Well, the group so, invites. Yeah, go ahead, Hank. Well, just now that we have those the number designations up. Yeah. Can we talk a bit about how? How do they arrived at those? It's uh, sort of the inverse of, to me anyway. It's the inverse of the of the clones taking names. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have this and sort of, of, you know, the dying, the dying, uh, 
the waning days of a more civilized uh, society allowing clones to take names. And then you have this, uh, what's supposed to be the, the dawn of the, the, the better society. Yeah. Uh, after a civil war. And we're, we're stripping people of their names and giving them uh, designations. And I, I've tried to, th- I've wondered about these, like there's a, there's M's and G's and then L and we could say I couldn't L make is for any sense of that. What l- the laboratories, but I was maybe? Like, just sitting here thinking like, uh, we know she's an officer. And I presume that M34 or M40, depending on which, you know, it's a Zuckus uh, Forlom <laughs> thing. Yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, the new Amsterdam fella. He does say uh, that he's an he was officer. an officer. He does say officer in his that, in his handshake. That really puts those other two guys in like which one of those guys was a stormtrooper? I just yeah, thought I had that great thought. Question. Great question. You know what I mean? Like um, I tried to sort of put some thought into what the 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 numerical the alphanumerical thing was and I could not come up with something that fit neatly. Not, not So I'm like is that a is that a is that a geographical is that like oh we we picked you up operating here so that you were now associated with this region of space like i don't i don't know well wouldn't that put pershing in with a g category too though you would think so and, like, yeah, that and it's funny matter. that they use the english designations no i know not orbesh <laughs> designations yeah you know what though but we know i mean if we we could have written that in orbesh and it would have it but we would have called completely. it by its orbesh name because they all <laughs> yeah. have names and they go That's through the true. trouble of making it th- th- tuong's day or whatever Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, yeah. Just interesting. Tongs Day, you know what I mean? Tongs Day, yeah. Happy Bendu Day. <laughs> prime Day, Prime Day, Prime Day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not just for Amazon anymore. Well, the group invites Doctor Pershing to uh, sit with them, and uh, they make some more small talk about how the Empire would not have handled things the same way as the New Republic, and how the Empire wasn't exactly big on redemption. Uh, Star Wars redemption is a huge common theme. <laughs> yeah. The communications officer asks if Pershing has taken in any of the sites on Coruscant and she'd be happy to show him around. Well, sitting there reminiscing, the group talks about the things that they miss from their Imperial days, not in the ideological sense, but the little things in life like better fitting uniforms and the lights of hyperspace. When they ask Dr. Pershing what he misses, he says it's the little yellow travel biscuits found in Imperial ration packs. And the group shares a laugh uh, while the comms officer G68 admits that she actually misses the red ones. That's I found that whole thing. Like they're laughing. Ha 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 ha. And then she admits, Oh, but I like the red ones. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I said at the end of this episode, how Pershing got played like a fiddle. And here she is. This is the first thing she does to start String. building that rapport right. to get him to trust her. Because like, <laughs> if it's a ration pack, why would there be multiple flavors? So we, uh, and, and Eric can, uh, uh, can appreciate this too. Um, and I don't know if it's still in the system, but when I was still in the service, we used to have a particular uh, dessert, which was not, not a cookie like that, but it was like this baked dessert. And it came in two flavors. Okay. It came in a cherry flavor and then it came in a lemon flavor. So yellow and red, which I find completely hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. As red says, I prefer this IMP for breakfast, individual meal pack. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is some real military stuff. It's so it really is. Okay. All right. Well, um, where am I at now? Here we go. We're going to go over here. 
Later that night, Dr. Pershing climbs into bed while he listens to some statistical data regarding Coruscant. When the doorbell rings, he goes outside only to find that no one is there. But whoever rang the doorbell has left an entire case of the yellow Imperial travel biscuits on the stoop. All right. So, um, <laughs> I really liked what was going on here. The, uh, the world building in this uh, sequence, especially mm. the, he's listening to the, the data pad. The data pad actually says something to the effect of thousands of layers of buildings and, and skyscrapers, which makes Coruscant one of only a handful of city planets known as an ecumenopolis. Ecumenopolis. An ecumenopolis. Now, that is actually a real-world term, and it's mm -hmm. not a very old term either. The word was only invented in 1962 by a Greek uh, city planner, Konstantinos Apostolou. It is a theoretical uh, idea of uh, an entire city planet. It literally comes from the Greek words okumene and polis, polis, which literally translate as world city. Oh, nice. There is a little bit of Warbash on the biscuit packs. Uh, it amounts to the letters E and B. Take what you will from that. I mm -hmm. did not. I wasn't going to wrap my brain trying to figure edible out biscuit. edible biscuit. There you go. There you go. Now, now Hank, you had sent me something on the TikToks. Mm. Uh, the voice of the data pad. Oh, uh, that I did not get. I can't remember. My oh, goodness. I, <laughs> I do a lot of things when I'm scrolling. Do you have it? I think I have it here. Wicked. Thank you for saving me. Okay. Shelby Young. Shelby Young. That name's familiar. Yeah. she's. Oh, uh, that's right. And she's like, people were messaging her saying, was that you on the Mandalorian? And she's confirming, yeah, that was yes, me. Yes, that was her. Okay. So that's where I forgot about Interesting. That. Do we know anything else about her? I did not dig further past that's that. That's fine. I wish <laughs> now I, you should have sent that to me. I would have Sorry. put it in the, I would have put it in tonight's notes. Fair enough. All right. Um, well, the next day, Dr. Pershing is at his uh, new day job where he apparently works uh, in a data entry uh, capacity. And he's cataloging, we, we will find out, he's cataloging both equipment from the decommissioned Imperial and Alliance fleets. Both uh, a co-worker slash supervisor as well as an astromech droid uh, drop off a stack of data disks. Uh, the the uh, supervisor, having seen the doctor's speech the night before, wonders, why are you working down here? Uh, to which Pershing uh, tells him he's just happy to do whatever is asked of him. Mm -hmm. This is the uh, sequence where we get the uh, happy Bendu day. Uh, if you haven't already seen, I can't even tell you what episode it is. We did a whole deep dive on the Imperial Galactic Calendar, mm -hmm. but yeah. uh, this does uh, come out of the Imperial Galactic Standard Calendar. The Bendu day, that is the fifth day in a Galactic Standard week, of which there are only five. Um, so in this case, what really it amounts to is like the boss saying happy Friday, mm -hmm. like, really <laughs> the last day of the, of the week. That being said, we can't, uh, we cannot, you know, not look at the Bendu in the room. Um, <laughs> 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 we've seen the Bendu come up before we've seen it in star Wars rebels when Kane and Jarrus met the Bendu, but it comes from the term, the Bendu monks. Now the Bendu monks or the order of the Dai Bendu were a legendary monastic tradition that studied the force. Now they were part of the establishment of the Jedi order. That is the uh, force users that predate the, the Jedi. 
And they believed that the force was uh, three aspects of one whole, the Ashla or the light, the Bogan, the dark and the Bendu, which represented balance by all three. The Bendu character actually quotes that almost verbatim to King mm-hmm. Jarus, the Ashla, the Bogan, I'm what's in the middle. And uh, we see uh, in this case, uh, what am I talking about here? Uh, sorry. The symbol of the Republic, which I've also included in this uh, slide, actually dates back to the Bendu monk's study of numerology, in which, uh, in which case the number nine, uh, symbolized by eight spokes joined to one disc, signified the benevolent presence of the Force in a united galaxy. Mm-hmm. How's that for a deep dive? <laughs> uh, we've got our uh, friend tjc tuning in uh good evening all and a fair to midland evening day uh i think it's later for, oh it's definitely later for you early morning for you <laughs> i hope you're having a great uh i guess monday morning for you yeah uh and then the other cool thing was uh you i couldn't help but notice the uh the stacks of uh data discs are the same design as the data disc from the data disc disc, like take it run (laughs) that they uh, (laughs) stored the death star planes so nice nod to that i uh, definitely appreciate that okay still using floppies eh? it's still (laughs) (laughs) i saw somebody else bring that up today too ruling the galaxy with a 1.44 uh, and just to, to reinforce that whole Orwellian thing, um, you could not look at this scene without throwing a, throwing it up against what we saw Cyril Karn go through in Andor. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Or for that matter, even Loki at the. Uh, uh, oh, at the TVA. Yeah. Yeah. yeah seriously. Um, yeah. And that thing, this is one that throws me off here. Uh, when at the end of the war, when the yeah. U.S. went in, operation paperclip they took the scientists and they put them to work oh the german scientists on the space program yeah they put them to work for america which is kind of like why wouldn't the new republic put the scientists back to science work well well that's an interesting question like him bringing it up you know what are you doing down here yeah no that makes sense it's it's funny that we get in andor we get slaves building the death star literally Yep. And in this, we get Imperial scientists dismantling, decommissioning the fleet. It's, you know, we talked about this gross uh, poetry privately sort of uh, off, but let's, let's talk about it with the audience. That whole idea of looking at the history of the Republic, there's that period after, you know, the whole hyperspace war thing. uh, But in, in the sense of let's call it the modern Republic, that Mm -hmm. period of time, those, those thousands of years or hundreds of years um, that led up to the beginning of the clone war right. there was no centralized military there was no, no republic yeah. military there was the jedi it's yeah there was yeah it's not that far of a stretch to think that you know the in the in the we just want the most idealistic uh society we can that people would want to go back to that that they would want to dismantle we spent so many times how much how many times through the clone wars did they talk about you know, the, the emperor or the, the chancellor's emergency powers, he keeps getting more powerful all the time. Would you not want to prevent that from happening again? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not, not hard to believe. I mean, it's not hard to believe, but it's also like after having lived through that just twice. Yeah. Yeah. That they would wholesale dismantle everything, dismantle everything. 
Yeah. Like, um, I could see scaling it back for sure. Um, Pershing himself makes a good point. Like, why aren't you guys utilizing some of this stuff? Yeah, no, like, he it's does. Still good he technology, does, yeah. and you're just like we, it and destroying we it. see X-Wings policing this, you know, we see the Rangers of the New Republic there. Policing, That's true. That's like, true. You know, they're not dismantling absolutely everything. Everything, yeah. X-Wings need a a mobile ship to, you know, I guess they could jump here and there, I guess. Yeah, they can jump, yeah. So, but it would make sense if there's like, you know, uh, mobile police bases. They, you know, we've we seen the prison ship. Uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. And is that thing just... I can't you know, see that thing. Yeah. Hyperlanes? No, no, but is it just riding the hyperlanes? Like, is it... And yet it, it was out there, you know, heading for a prison? <laughs> yeah, yeah, except for except for droids, yeah, undefended except for yeah. So there's a lot of good questions here. Yeah, and, there uh, really is. None of them point to the republic being the wonderful utopia that everybody wants. Feared and be. hated the empire, right? Yeah. Like yeah. if Luthen uh, made it to this point, he's got to be uh, contemplating suicide at this point. <laughs> really, eh? I just read that line from him again. Uh, I, uh, what is it? Uh, for a sunrise, I'll never see. You yeah. Know, the whole sacrifice thing. And yeah. You, and, and it never came. I mean, it, uh, no, the, the fireworks and then, and then this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, sometime later, Dr. Pershing and Officer G68 stroll through Monument Plaza eating frozen treats and marveling at all the people. We learn that Coruscant has a trillion permanent residence the doctor naively presumes that they all work together to make something better we also learned that uh, gideon's comm officer g68 happened to train at the academy here now they talk about how they thought they were doing the right thing and how close dr pershing was to making some real breakthroughs that in the right hands his research could have helped a lot of people well g68 plants the idea that the doctor should just keep going with his research because it's important and that by blindly following orders was how they got into trouble in the first place she tells the doctor there are lots of capable people that want to help uh, and then asks him do you understand what i'm saying i like that you get my meaning i'm telling mm-hmm. you you should just keep doing it mm-hmm. just plant that seed <laughs> uh, uh there's a line here uh what does she say not much has changed other than taking down the cog wheels the cog wheel being the the imperial Imperial crest exactly yeah yeah just put up a new flag and then you know just some of the other things that she says to him that just to reinforce that whole like you get what i'm saying if it could help the new republic isn't that important enough Mm -hmm. and i mean that's going to come back in the parole meeting where he basically parrots that back to the parole droid yeah and here's another one for you. And this this speaks to sort of uh, some of the lines uh, from the sequel trilogy. Sometimes you you have to trust your gut. The New Republic is trying their best, but they're struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, when Leia talks about, uh, we talk about Leia going back into service uh, right. as a general. Right. Is this, is this why? 100% this is why. Right. 100%. Like, I... It, it really became, I think I sent that to the chat, that very, that very saying, yeah. no wonder Leia went back to the military. To being, yeah, of course she did. Being she saw what was happening. Yeah. This is, yeah. The, there is the a, politics, like the, the yeah. actual reality. I've always said like, you can have the, the, the most wonderful philosopher King run for president or prime minister of any given 
country. But when they get in power and realize that there are systems set up that yeah. won't let them wield the power the way they thought they could, because there's a status quo that needs to be maintained. And that's, that's what this is. It's evident. There's this notion. And we know from the sequel trilogy that there is a, there is a definite camp of centrists that want to keep the government centralized and have all of the, the, the protections of that. And then there are the decentralists that want to, you know, they, they, they want to have as little government as they can possibly have. And to some degree, it's the decentrists that win the day as they start moving the galactic capital around the galaxy. Mm -hmm. You know, when uh, it just happens to be on Hosnian prime and Starkiller base goes off. Well, at this point, technically this is the capital is Chandrilla. Yes, that's right. This, that's this right. is just a the former. It's just capital. a place to live. Right. It's, it's just now a place just to a live. place to live. It's the yeah. Galactic Hub. It is. Yeah. Well, Monument Plaza—that's a cool little spot. Let's have a look at Monument Plaza. Uh, it's come up uh, a few times. Of course, that's what it looks like in the Mandalorian. But we've also seen it uh, in the Clone Wars, as well as uh, Star Wars: Forces of Destiny, as it showed up in one of the shorts there. Now, uh, uh, Monument Plaza first showed up in the 1996 Legends reference book, the Illustrated Star Wars Universe. And that book basically features a ton of Macquarie text, uh, or sorry, Macquarie art. And uh, the supporting text for those locations was all kind of done by Kevin J. Anderson, who's also turned up this episode a couple of times with his Jedi Academy trilogy. Hmm. Awesome. Right down to, uh, there, there are some differences too, though. Like they talk about Monument Plaza versus Monument Park, uh, that it was originally called Monument Park, but then they retconned it that Monument Park was actually supposed to be the park that surrounded the plaza. So anyway, it is now Monument All uh, Plaza. Up. Yeah. Right down to, there's the big rock hanging yeah. out in the middle. We're actually going to talk about that here in a minute. <laughs> Well, at the center of Monument Plaza, Dr. Pershing and G-68 stop to look and talk about the giant rock that is jutting out of the ground. Uh, turns out it's not just a rock. It's actually the peak of Umate. Umate. It is the highest peak on Coruscant and is rumored to be the only place on the planet where people can actually see the planet's surface. Mm-hmm. And then G-68 plays a pretty cool practical joke on Dr. Pershing when she encourages him to reach out and touch it knowing full well that that's not allowed. And the poor doctor loses his glow-in-the-dark ice cream and gets berated by a droid. Yeah. <laughs> Again. It's pretty strict, like, <laughs> and swift it. response. Don't touch and don't litter. Like, yeah. I guess almost it's, a, muse- it's a museum piece. Yeah, almost yeah. police state. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, going to go back to the Umate thing for a second, because like in the last slide, uh, as I said, you can see it there in Macquarie's painting. Now, while it is uh, in the painting, it it doesn't get a sort of a a, a real like story mention uh, until the Shadows of the Empire uh, novel, uh, where it's talked about the religious cult, uh, the flames, the flames of Umate. And the flames of Umate uh, in that would actually meditate while touching the rock, hmm. believing that it would connect them with the planet's inner spirit. Uh, the monks would also patrol the plaza and they would prevent tourists from chipping off pieces of the rock. Hmm. Which I thought was kind of funny. Real world problems, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> well, have you ever, <laughs> if you've ever traveled and you've gone to places where like, you know, bronze statues, 
Yes. You ever and, seen a bronze uh, statue where there's just one part of the bronze statue where there's bronze. no there's no patina on it whatsoever? Yeah, <laughs> yeah usually the boobs. As the two of them leave uh, uh, Monument Plaza, she actually offers to buy him a photon fizzle. At first, I thought she was just offering to replace his his uh, ice cream that ice he cream? dropped. No, no. No, my friends. That is not it at all. The photon fizzle. That is a beverage. And it was first brought up in the fifth episode of the 1985 droids cartoon, The Lost Prince. Nice. Um, it's made its jump to the canon. It did appear in Dex's Diner in Attack of the Clones, although it wasn't nice. really, it wasn't named there. But it also appears in the Galaxy's Edge cookbook, where in that book, it is actually a gin-based cocktail that uses uh, boba pearls, and it is carbonated using ginger beer. Hmm. So there you go. Photon fizzle. It's an alcoholic drink. <laughs> First introduced in a kid's cartoon. Yeah, really. <laughs> But that, but it raises a point. I guess when you're on parole, uh, he was not restricted from alcohol. Well, yeah. Oh my! Take everything else away. Don't take that away. <laughs> well, sometime later, Doctor Pershing meets with a droid that basically amounts to a parole officer, who uh, interviews him quite sterilely with a series of yes or no questions. Do you still find your current housing situation comfortable? Are you able to maintain a constant schedule? Are you experiencing any undue stress due to work or personal matters? Have you experienced any feelings of anger or resentment towards your coworkers? And have you experienced any feelings of anger or resentment towards the New Republic government or its representatives? After answering no to all of the questions, the droid dismisses the doctor, but he pauses to ask if he would be allowed to continue his research recreationally. The droid says that his work is expressly prohibited by the Coruscant Accords, Section 13, subparagraph 7. Notice his body posture, eh? Yeah. He's yeah. Uh, on the he's edge trying. of his seat. Well, he's trying. He's he's sitting upright. He's he's complying. Yeah. He's, he's very is... interested in, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's because I noted it uh, the second time around because his body posture in the second interview is very different. It, oh, at various. It's way different. Um, we'll get the obvious stuff out of the way first here. Our parole droid. That's uh, I. I don't have a photo for her because this is actually uh, not an actor. Oh, uh, yeah. This is Regina Hermosillo. Uh, this is her only acting credit. She is the set decoration coordinator for this season of The Mandalorian. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> this interview room. Um, just in the whole comforting that or whole orwellian yeah that whole orwellian thing um there's a house plant in the corner of, of a room that has no mm -hmm. windows yeah like this feels yeah. like an interrogation room not a not an interview 100%, room 100 yeah 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 100 and it's sunny out <laughs> yeah it is it is uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, interestingly enough, it looks like they did a direct lift, uh, of the legends. Uh, we've talked about this before. They did lift the legends, new Republic symbol. Um, I'm surprised at how close, uh, they've, uh, mirrored that, uh, the orange one, mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because in star Wars legends, those aren't actually the official colors of the new Republic. Uh, the blue and the gold are actually the official colors. Mm -hmm. Even though they say that the the rising phoenix is more often shown in red, but that's out of a nod uh, to the rebellion. Hmm. Now the alliance uh, star phoenix 
surrounded by a uh, ring of stars trimmed in gold. The, uh, hang on a second. The ring of stars represents the galaxy and the gold symbolizes the right to self governance. Interesting stuff. Uh, and then it's all sterile and completely white in the interrogation. Yeah. And so weirdly lit, like it is so dramatically lit. I had to go back and rewatch it. By the time I got to the second interview, I'm like, wait a minute. I wanted to specifically look at the lighting because did they I, like, did they light him like he was being interrogated? No. I mean, there's equal lighting on both of them. So it's yeah, not it's really like an overhead down, but then yeah. there's also one flashing right on the Republic symbol. Yeah, but the palette yeah, yeah. of everything too is you know the palette so of the empire. Stark. The palette of the empire is really like you know you're in a an interrogation room in the empire. Everything's huge Black white lights. Yeah, there's, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of lighting. Like you know the like those uh, weird uh, yeah. oval shaped lights everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this instead of black and white or gray, it they they it's just a muted splash of color. So the droid the, is almost right, the same even his color uniform as the stripe is, on the. Just, uh, yeah, it's very imperial looking, but it's it is it's it's, it's like a a pastel like a dark pastel blue. Yeah. It's just a yeah. you know, muted version of whatever. We're not else the is same. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we're not. We're not. Okay, well, returning uh, to Amnesty Housing, Doctor Pershing finds G sixty eight sitting alone in the courtyard. He tells her that he considered what she said about the importance of his research. And he's convinced that in the right hands, it could still be used for good. He just needs to be able to prove that. Well, G68 says that it sounds like he wants to continue with the research. And when Dr. Pershing questions her how, she just asks him, well, what do you need? He tells her uh, a short list of gear, uh, basically some portable lab equipment. And uh, he tells her that it's the idea is really silly. But she stops him and says that they can get what he needs but they would have to go outside of the areas that they're actually allowed to. G68 tells the doctor that if his research really is as important as he says it is, well, she's willing to take the risk. But uh, Pershing tells her it's too dangerous. Well, she says, well, just sleep on it then. Again, uh, we spent a lot of time this episode building this, uh, I said it before, building rapport where she's Mm -hmm. trying to, uh, which makes... I mean, we know it happens. It makes She's that grooming. betrayal so much more like, Ugh. and the worst part is as the audience, we've see it coming a mile away. <sighs> she says uh, to, to talk about the suggestive language that she used, you want to help the new Republic. They just can't see it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, he, he's still sort of in that mindset where like, he's genuinely wanting to be helpful. And he's like, but if, if, if they found out, we'd both be sent back to the reintegration Institute, which I presume is the building with the mind flare where they end up. Yeah. 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 Now, small detail here, but there is a marked difference when they're sitting down talking to each other versus when she gets up and turns away from him, her facial expression changes. Mm-hmm. Um, the sinister, I don't know how else to say it. The sinister vibe comes through on her, like loud oh, yeah, and clear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Later at Dr. Pershing's uh, day job, the doctor realizes that all of the Imperial equipment that he's been inventorying is actually scheduled to be destroyed. He points out to the supervisor that it's still good equipment. And if he could have access to it, he'd be happy to demonstrate how it all works. 
Now, the supervisor who is described in the descriptive audio as a lab tech mm-hmm. stops him and says that the department is behind schedule. On top of inventorying the Imperial Disposal Yards, they also have to deal with the decommissioning of the Alliance fleet. For the doctor to get access to that equipment, it would require a higher departmental authorization, of which the supervisor isn't even sure uh, is actually possible, so the doctor just abandons his efforts with, uh, you know, forget I ever brought it up. Dropping another stack of data cards, the supervisor tells Pershing that what he's doing really is helping And then off he goes to his next stop. And the doctor uh, opens a drawer in his desk and he removes a pack of the yellow travel biscuits before slumping back in his chair to eat one. Take that, you bastard. (laughs) Yeah, it turns out uh, the New Republic is still keen on using uh, the Rebellion era rank system. Um, If it is a one for one exchange, this guy is technically a Navy lieutenant lab tech lab tech though i I don't get that (laughs) there's an interesting little note here i i made this note like i i go looking for this stuff and sometimes you get hits on on stuff and sometimes you don't sometimes you get nothing but i got a really interesting one on the uh, form c uh, c1023 c1023 if you uh if you put uh c1023 and add the words uh, star wars to that you know what you get You find out that uh, uh, Star Wars Lego set number 75292, the Razor Crest, is 1,023 pieces. C1023, is that Crest (laughs) 1023? Maybe. Kind of self-referential in a way. Might be. Yeah. Yeah. Go out and buy Lego. If you can afford to. That stuff's expensive, man. Mm. It's brutal. Well, back in the parole office, the droid uh, runs down the exact same line of questions uh, at the doctor's la- as the doctor's last interview. But when it gets to the, have you experienced any feelings of anger and resentment towards the New Republic? The doctor uh, pulls at his scarred ear. When the, do- mm. uh, the, the droid um, repeats the question, he offers a no. And uh, the body language is completely completely is so defeated yeah. yeah deflated for sure this time the doctor doesn't formally ask any questions he just asserts that the main objective of the amnesty program is for participants to help the new republic and that help succeeds anything else right when the droid affirms that with a yes he tightens his jaw with new resolve and he leaves the office mm-hmm. man what what Desperate measures uh, uh, for desperate people. Yep. Is that what this amounts to? Like splitting hairs like that? He's looking for permission and is using a very broad question to get a very specific answer. Yeah. It's like, I didn't get the answer I wanted last time. So if I reword it. He doesn't even ask a question. He just says our yeah. main is to help the, our job is to help the new Republic. Right. Yeah. yeah. At the cost of everything else. I don't think he says at the cost, but yeah. that's that's more important than anything else. Yes. Yeah. Okay, then that's what I'm gonna do. Yep. <sighs> doctor, doctor, doctor. You were totally <laughs> redeemable. You were so redeemable. And then you did this. <laughs> All right. Well, returning to Amnesty Housing, Dr. Pershing goes directly to G86's apartment. When she opens the door, he tells her he wants to go and get the mobile lab station that he needs to continue his work. She smiles and tells him they'll go tomorrow night. 
Well, the following night, Dr. Pershing lays his amnesty uniform out on the bed before standing in front of the mirror and telling himself that he's doing the right thing, that he is helping the New Republic. As he leaves his apartment, the camera focuses on the crate of Imperial Travel Biscuits. There's a there's an interesting, uh, I don't know if you call it a musical cue or is it a sound cue? Mm. Maybe. Between the last scene and this one, as soon as he says, I want to go get it, there's this that guttural, almost Gregorian monk uh, that they use every time the emperor is on screen. Yes. You know the yeah. one I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I should have recorded it, but they, they, they use the emperor's theme, <laughs> his, his essential music. His plan's yeah. back on yeah. track. There's a parallel here between what Dr. Pershing is doing and what Anakin went through when he's like, do I go to the emperor and, and like, do I, don't I? Yeah. It's this similar sort of internal struggle. I mean, for different reasons, obviously, but. All right. Well, the uh, the following night, Doctor Pershing lay. Uh, sorry, I just went through that, didn't I? As the train uh, at the train station, Doctor Pershing and G sixty eight make their way inside the building. The doctor is visibly nervous, and G sixty eight tries to get him to relax. Now they pass a couple of security droids as well as a pair of New Republic security officers, but no one stops them. At a turnstile, they watch a man pay for his ticket and pass through. Before the gate can close, G-68 sticks her foot into it, preventing it from closing, and the two of them pass through and board the train. Not a lot going on here. It's a train station. Yeah. Now, uh, there is a little bit of Orabesh in this. I've I've taken the liberty of flipping the sign around here. Uh, mm-hmm. The sign actually says, yeah, so it's actually the right way, because when the camera passes by, it's backwards. backwards. Yeah. Uh, it says, Federal Station, Executive Building, Monument Park, the public transit system of Coruscant has a zero tolerance policy on its rules and restrictions, and you need to obey. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Papers. Boarding. Go ahead, Hank. Oh, papers. Yeah, papers. <laughs> please. <laughs> Boarding the train, uh, G eighty six and Doctor Pershing take their seats while a couple of passengers look them up and down. Then the train pulls out of the station and drops into a sky lane as it picks up speed. They get looked at, and he's all like weird and stuff. Like he just doesn't know what to do. So she yeah. she breaks the tension with uh, Tong's days. Am I right? Well, Tong's day. We're we're going back to the Galactic Standard calendar at least superficially. Tong's mm-hmm. day is the third day of the week. So Wednesday, I guess. Yeah, roughly. Wednesday, middle of the week. I, I presume this train is full of people who are working the night shift. Yeah. However, however, and this is where it gets cool and, and it ties it all back into the Mandalorian. Uh, the Tong, the Tong are actually an ancient species. They were indigenous to Coruscant. Uh, and a long, long time ago in uh, Star Wars Legends, they were actually recruited and led by Mandalore the first in conquering a new world. That new world would become Mandalore, and the Tong species would become the first Mandalorians. Hmm. Now, Tongs were first seen in the 1995 comic book Tales of the Jedi, uh, The Sith War, number one, issue number one. Oh, there we go. All things uh, intentional. Well, Dr. Pershing is shocked to learn that they are headed to the Imperial uh, ship disposal yards. 
the resting place of all the gear that he's been cataloging at his shiny new Republic don't rock the boat job. The G86 is confident that they can slip in and out and be back home in amnesty housing before anyone knows they're gone. When he asks her if she's done, uh, if she's done this before, she asks him, where do you think I got the biscuits from? <laughs> the, the train passes through a brightly lit tunnel and out onto a flat industrial section of the planet. Of course, thematically, we've, we've been to areas like this before. We typically associate them with evil. Like when uh, Dooku turns up to talk to the emperor, he's kind of yeah. hanging out in the flats. Yep. Yeah, exactly. When the double door is at the end of the pas uh, passenger car open, two droids enter and begin asking the passengers for their tickets. Uh, G86 and Dr. Pershing get up and they start heading towards the back of the train. One of the droids spots them trying to evade and then follows them at, uh, you thought the uh, scooter chase was slow? <laughs> <laughs> they got nothing or, on this. Or that Leia ran slow in Obi-Wan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the droid does the slow roll and walks after them. When they finally reach the last car and there's nowhere left to run, G86 says, we're going to have to jump. And they do, conveniently landing on a pile of what looks like padded cargo containers. They have arrived at the disposal yard. Uh, interestingly enough, as they start moving through the, the trains, he tries the Tongs Day line and it fails miserably. <laughs> so we're going to have to work on that. Now, now, this was a missed opportunity. In what sense? We should have had Tom Hanks as the voice of the ticket droid. <laughs> <laughs> well Tickets, done. Please. Well done. A uh, new comment coming in from an uh, anonymous Facebook user says, I flashed to the scene on the airship in Indiana Jones' Last Crusade when they yeah. asked for their yeah. tickets. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Except no big burly man tried to punch them out a window. <laughs> no ticket. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, the shipyard. Mm -hmm. I feel like we've been here before. I, I do too. Like, I can't see recently, there being many. Like this like, season. Is there, <laughs> yeah. Is there really that many places where you can park a Star Destroyer on Coruscant? Well, if it does ring the entire planet. Well, that's true. That is true. Um, and I don't want to get into the weeds of it, like how much bigger an Imperial uh, Star Destroyer is. Although I'm not convinced that's an Imperial. I think that might actually be a um, victory. A victory, yeah, yeah. Which, if that's the case, that actually lines up with fitting in the same berth as a venator. Ven mm. Venator, yeah. yeah, yeah. But interesting that we we get to revisit this in two series within a week of each other. Yeah. Also, nice to see that the uh, the the crane walker from Solo is back. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. At the shipyard, G eighty six and Doctor Pershing sneak onto a decommissioned star destroyer, where they make their way to a lab facility. And they promptly pack up the portable lab equipment the doctor needs to continue his research. Now, when they're alerted by the sound of creaking metal, G86 tells Pershing that the ship is just settling and tells him to keep packing. But the creaking grows more intense, and they realize they're no longer alone on the vessel, and they make a run for it out of the ship and back across the gangway. Um, sneaking onto the ship, we get this like cool, uh, the descriptive audio calls it a millipede. I could not find a reference for this anywhere. So I'm going out on a limb and saying that this is a new brand bug. new bug. Brand new bug. Non uh, brand new version bug. of the one yeah. we saw in the Bad Batch. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. We also get some exposition here about how she's so sorry that of the million times that she passed him on Gideon's ship. Right. I'm sorry I never introduced myself. Like, 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how to play the fiddle, but I bet it looks something just yeah. like this. You know what I mean? I feel like some of the stuff he grabs is really specific. Yes. Did you pay attention to what he was grabbing? I tried to, but. Hank, you, I, I thought, you had some comments about that. About I had thought being... s- several things were like data cards. So yeah. uh, another thing that he would be able to do from this lab is probably access his old files. Not, mm. not that this is his lab, but that he has access oh, to yeah. the network. Um, Possibly. And so, Possibly. you know, when we talk about what happens at the end and we, we think, why would you do that if you need him to complete his work? Maybe you just need his files. And I, I do have a theory. <laughs> I do have a theory about that, yeah. which we'll talk yeah, about yeah. at the end. It's all tied in. You know, but they didn't do any, like, they didn't go to any computer and start extracting. Like, no. They didn't go looking for info. They He just started picking up gear it's and filling that box. Yeah, it's and true. the box didn't exactly seem large for if no. you're going to start a cloning facility. <laughs> no, but he did <laughs> grab, like, what looked like vials out of a centrifuge. That, yeah. yes, that he did. You know. Sure, to process, you know, blood and fluids blood and samples. all that kind of thing, yeah. Well, she introduces herself, and we finally learn that uh, G68, her name is uh, Eliah Kane. Eliah Kane. And uh, we find out that Pershing's first name is Penn, like Penn and Teller. Penn Pershing. Hmm. It's the final note in the Trust Me concert that she's been playing this whole episode. Right. We also learn, uh, they have this little, like, uh, what did you want to be when you grow up moment, which I thought was kind of like, oh, how touching this is. Mm find out that uh, what makes it more tragic is that when Pershing's mom died, she was a doctor. Oh, how hard is that? I mean, doctor, no wonder he's inspired. No wonder he's inspired to, to follow the, the vocation that he does. Yeah. He's also genuinely excited just to be in that room. Did you, did you get that? Like, Ooh, back where I belong. I've always envisioned a lab like this. And now I'm in one is basically the line. I think. Much mm-hmm. better than the uh, burned out one on Navarro. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right. So at the other end of the gangway, Dr. Pershing and uh, Kane are bathed in the spotlight from a police patrol gunship. The pair stop dead in their tracks as Republic security forces sweep in and surround them. But only Dr. Pershing is arrested. Eliah Kane picks up the hard case full of lab equipment and she gives the doctor a curt nod before walking away mm-hmm. clearly she this is the setup yeah yeah the so question, i yeah go for it go for it hank <laughs> like at first i didn't realize that she was turning him in at first i thought these guys all work for her oh like, that's an interesting thought I th- like that's how corrupt we already are yeah yeah, yeah. that there's an imperial agent actively recruiting back Right, right, right. And I'm still not convinced that that's not the case. They they literally they let her walk around with quite a bit of authority. Mm-hmm. She picks end. up that case and she walks away, and we don't see what happens to the case after. She certainly walks away like she's in charge of the situation, like she's in the free and clear to go. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, but they don't even batter. They, they there's no, no acknowledging her. They don't look she at just her. Walks right by. I'm like, of the opinion that there I feel is like some these are kind her of men. Oh, so I kind of went the other way with it. I figured there was some kind of like, you know, how the like police agencies, uh, like the FBI will have an informant program. Mm-hmm. So this is a sting. And and that's what I thought that this has been orchestrated for a long time, that everything she's done has been under the guise of, we're going to go get it. And I'm going to turn you in because that I know that you're going to be exposed to 
the 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 thing the device <laughs> but she and then i so can get to the real she world she could have just pushed him off the train she could yeah she could have but then how do you explain a body i mean she's still trying to play within the system where she's rehabilitating yeah so but maybe she is like leader of this operation because I feel she like is, it goes deeper than that. Yeah, yeah it may be. I, I certainly am she's excited. She's walking to around with so much uh, anonymity. Because uh, we don't, yeah. <laughs> we don't know how long she's been here, right? No, but at the same time, when she, we when we get to the uh, the rehabilitation center, she asks for permission to stay. Somebody yeah. who's in charge wouldn't have to ask permission. No, but so, I, do I don't believe know. that she has worked her way up inside the ranks within the program yeah yeah i buy that mm. our anonymous facebook user says it felt like a bit of a dirty trick to entrap him uh, like that she really arranged the whole thing kind of yeah. oh greg <laughs> it's greg <laughs> it's my friend greg all the way in florida nice to have you in tonight greg thank you very much i appreciate that comment yeah no doubt she set him up like uh no tomorrow i know she really did yeah 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 let's look at it from the, the, the perspective of she is maintaining a cover that the new Republic is not aware that the, she's an Imperial remnant. If you look at it through that lens and ask yourself, how did she set this up? Is there any more to, to pull out of that? There's the, why, how does it benefit her? Yeah. I mean, presumably she doesn't get to keep that case. I don't think she does. Like, so what's in the case that like he just needed uh, tools to work? Really, the knowledge is in his mind, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I don't know. And that that's going to bring a lot a of questions. About the questions. Yeah. All right. Well, let's yeah, get let's I, get to that. When we get to that, I have a question there. Too. Yeah. OK, for sure. Before we get there, uh, you know me. Uh, I love uh, tech in Star Wars, and, and we get ships, a, we get a pretty yeah we get this cool look at uh, the Republic. Now this is uh, essentially what is an L A A T L E patrol gunship. Now it has undergone some changes. This is basically a, a Republic era vehicle. It's based on the clone gunship, albeit it's a little bit smaller. Not troop transporting more. Yeah. Um, this is in a police role, which we've seen it before uh, in in uh, the Clone Wars, as well as uh, Star Wars Rebels. But it's gotten some updates, like it's got a smooth canopy, whereas the original model has a sort of segmented tie style, mm-hmm. uh, like a uh, fast, faceted. Yeah, very much so. Right. And there's no notches in in the wings. That's it's all minor. It doesn't really matter, but. I just thought it was interesting to see that. Nice to see this vehicle uh, turn up in live action, by the way. Mm. Uh, and the Orbesh does translate as police. police. Yeah. Oddly enough, the concept uh, art for this week shows the original design mm-hmm. uh, in the concept art. So hmm. why the changes? I don't know. Well, there's a lot of changes from concept art to screen accurate yep. stuff in the yep. original stuff. So it, it may be one of those things where they've... Uh, Maybe updated for, it on like they, they did the minor tweaks on purpose to, so that i feel it like feels that's like you know the, show the passage of time right yeah. yeah but this is a newer model yeah i buy that all right waking up at an undisclosed location presumably the rehabilitation center mm-hmm. the doctor finds himself strapped to a table where a mon calamari officer stands over him pershing tells the officer he can explain himself but the officer says no need because G68 has already filed a report. The Moncala tells him that uh, overcoming Imperial indoctrination can be hard, 
So he's going to undergo a recently approved experimental treatment using a machine called the 602 Mitigator. Apparently, it can be used to soothe select traumatic memories. Select. But it is the same technology used by the Empire in their Mind Flare torture device and can be used to wipe a person's memory. Now, the Moncala reassures Dr. Pershing that he's not going to have his mind wiped. This is the New Republic, son. And that the experience should actually be quite refreshing. Eliah Kane watches from the control room where a Twi'lek technician operates the device. And when it's time to leave, Kane asks if she can stay because, after all, Dr. Pershing is a friend and she still cares about him. When the Twi'lek leaves the room, Kane dials the machine up to maximum and watches as, the, as Dr. Pershing writhes on the table in the next room. There's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and eats a cookie. From, and the, eats a cookie. And eats a cookie. The yeah, irony, super disturbing. The irony of the human being telling the Moncella that it, it's it, a trap. it was a trap. I think we all got the joke there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um he he looks at her kind of like he's completely deflated as he's he goes from talking to the technicians i just wanted to help she sent me up she set me up and then looks at the glass and says you set me up mm-hmm. and she just stone cold like no emotion there no I want to talk about this machine for a minute this uh 602 mitigator or the mind flare no doubt uh completely uh i guess not all the imperial tech was Decommissioned. Uh, yeah decommissioned right Re- recently approved mm-hmm. when he, when they say mind flare that it's capable of wiping your mind do we think it is like in the droid se- sense where you you wipe a droid's mind and it's like hitting the factory reset. reset yeah is that what we're looking at here i don't know i mean that presumes some serious tech like like that you can selectively i mean i guess that he literally says that we can remove certain traumas select traumatic memories um so i mean you know if we can hyperspace jump i guess there's there's some serious tech out there we can yeah. clone people we've seen we've seen obi-wan get an injection and completely change his dna face <laughs> and voice so, much, um, yes. so i guess it's possible my my thought would be my my question sort of strays into like so if they can wipe information can they uh copy it that's and a therefore great like, question that would be that would make sense she she could wipe him have a copy of what he knows and no longer need the man well that that does that does fill the big gap that i have and that is right from the beginning of the episode from his speech at the opera house it's my work is unfinished it is not complete and so it's like you you need him you need him to complete that yeah so what is it that she's trying to erase here? You know, is Pershing going to, I don't want Pershing to wake up and be like, like I said uh, earlier today, potato. drooling on the, in his lunch and like, ah, change my diaper. Like so the I, guy's got to serve. I probably, a I could probably talk about my theory here because it doesn't really, it ties into what happens after this with the, with the, with the bookends, but it really oh, pertains sure, sure. to, to the cloning and stuff. So, there's what what started me thinking down this path was I saw a really crazy TikTok that suggested that perhaps uh Alia Kane was Omega. And <laughs> you know, there's they I mean you talk about she, crazy. Uh, it's crazy, but That's she looks like shit. she could be a female version of 
a young uh uh omega well or, or uh, a, like a like a male clone? clone yeah like a male clone so but so then omega would be too old right now she or yeah ages yeah, she normally be, so she, she could be another crack at it but i started thinking that, was, that uh, stuff yeah. was all too wacky for me but but it did bring omega into this for me for a second to consider. yeah 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 and so then i thought what if the kaminoans did what palpatine wanted them to do but not but but completely out of curiosity it. without him knowing it what if what if they spliced dna uh with clone dna combining two pieces of dna and made force sensitivity work they've already done it and just so, didn't tell anybody and didn't tell anybody and so I, we were joking in the first season yeah that that she looks a lot like palpatine omega you mean or yes right yes yeah yeah what if omega is is quite the missing is the actual missing link here like they want grogu so they can make a second attempt yeah yeah but what if omega what if we've already done half palpatine what if we've already already done it yeah and and so what they what they need is cloners that have as much knowledge as possible but they might also be running around wiping out the people that, that know closed. these things like well this is it so that let's just stop on that for a second because talking about wiping out this the selective wiping part is this just a, a a fancy uh magical hollywood wand to erase all of his individuality so that pershing will just do what he's told to do yep okay i'll make the clone if, without- if it if it is it was set up in season one yeah. because cara yeah. dune talks about they're not putting me in a mind flare no of course not yeah and that brings my uh, question. Yeah. Does this mind flare act say like your standard issue neuralizer where, you know, Oh yeah. You set it for the this, this, thing. this and it'll take away that chunk. The flashy thing. Yeah. Where Which you would just put him back on Gideon's ship ready to work. Or you can now uh, implant the suggestion of, Oh, by the way, from this period of time to this period of time, it's a normal day. Yeah. I, I, get, I mean, I it, it might suggest even, um, well, yeah, yeah, you could put him back in the fleet and he might not have thought anything changed, but yeah, it, yeah. it suggests lobotomy, but we know that there's a whole separate tech for that, uh, for that yeah, uh, to, to create lobots. Um, <laughs> exactly. It raises a lot of questions. It's certainly a, a, a cruel and horrible twist because, like you say, yeah. he was redeemable. Um, but I really, I really think that we're going. You're going to see that that, that Omega, even if even if the the Palpatine splice is the is the Hail Mary, yeah. I think you're going to find that she's not a full clone of Jango Fett. That she is she Omega or link. she Elia Kane. She um, she Omega. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't okay. think Elia. Just Kane make sure I want to yeah, make no. sure we're on the same page. I think I think you're going to find that Omega, yeah. and and the reason w- um, has a little blend of something yeah. else going on. And you know what it. It's not lost on me that that Snoke might look a little bit like Crosshair. So that that actually puts that puts Omega closer in proximity to Ray than it does. Hundred uh, percent, Jango I, Fett. And you could go down another rabbit hole. What if what if what if the uh, the woman that we see in in uh, Rise of Skywalker isn't you know maybe that's just the woman that's with Palpatine's clone at the time. What, what yeah, if what maybe. if Ray's mom is Omega? Oh, so that's. <laughs> that's a fantastic idea. 
Yeah. I do like that idea. Let's take a few seconds here and uh, just check in Catch with the chat in the for a comments, second here. Yeah. Our friends from uh, Sergeant Slaughter Slaughterhouse uh, checking in with the thumbs up. Hey, guys. Nice to see you tonight. Red says, my first reaction was she greased him for reminding her of her worst days and that she was genuinely, genuinely on board and doing this for the Republic. That's I saying. I might have thought that, but her face does too much. Uh, yeah, we're gonna take scowling. we're gonna take a really good look at that here in a second. <laughs> yeah, the follow up uh, the follow up is now I'm not as sure. That's yeah. fair. That's uh, what we do here. <laughs> Doug, Great descent. Is there a Jedi that could learn from reading someone's mind? Uh, presumably, sure. Uh, I would gather that's pretty basic stuff, actually. Let's let me let me talk about this Jedi thing uh, for a second. Um, is there a Jedi out there? that could restore Pershing's mind through that fancy new, but not new ability force healing. Mm. We've seen Grogu and Ray both heal physical wounds. Can they do other stuff? Interesting. I don't know. Brain trauma. Greg says, uh, so does she still work for Moff Gideon or Thrawn and she's protecting the Republic from learning about the Imperial cloning program? Uh, Maybe. Solid maybe. Yeah, about the cloning program. That is a solid not. maybe. I don't think it's as big of a secret. It's like they know about the Kaminoans. They know sure, about the clone sure, army. Sure. The fact that the, and this isn't the empire anymore. This is the, the remnant or what will become the last order. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you, geez, like it's, there's a, there's a lot of questions. There really she, is. Yeah. She, she sacrifices her own freedom, gets put in this indoctrination camp ahead of him, presumably. Yeah. And waits for him to be here so that she can, you know, or is this all on the fly? Like, I don't know. She, was she captured legitimately? Did she go through the rehabilitation thing legitimately? Does she I find this like... opportunity to do Gideon's work? Well, let's and just tie... run with it. Like, like let's... there are a lot of questions. Let's go back to the starfighter battle for a second and just put that through the lens of somebody is pulling the strings. I still think I do think she's Gideon's mole. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, think yeah. that. I, I don't think. I just, that, I just don't know whether th- this was orchestrated or this was an opportunity. Ah, uh, well, that's yeah, that's a great, great, yeah, totally possible. Because if um, it's orchestrated, that's that's crazy. That that's uh, yeah. that's some you know emperor level stuff. <laughs> well, going back to that emperor level stuff, is it? weird or ironic that she's using her feminine wiles to set him up when i in our bad batch episode we already see fee kind of oh right same trick that's right Jack. yeah no you're right you're right i mean we get a payoff here and we know that you know she's not i don't think there's i don't think she's trying to build any kind of romance though with but him, she's right? using that as a tool she yeah to sway his, yeah yeah she's decisions she's definitely spent and it's so much more overt in this episode like I said, she's been trying to build rapport with him the entire episode, trying yeah. to nudge you know, him in this direction. Oh, I'm sorry. I never introduced myself before. Now this is who I really am. And oh, you know, you're a good man. And oh, your research is important. And oh, you should keep going. Oh, and helping the new Republic is the most important thing. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. But the smile she gives him, it seems like a legitimate smile at the time. But that's the, uh, but that's the face she's that's put the on, act, right? though. That is the act. And I yeah. mean, that. That is, we talked about this in Andor Spycraft. Wow. Like she is top notch. How is it that she was only a communications officer? Yeah. Or was there something more more to her? Mind you, she is working for one of the, one of the, a very notorious 
uh, intelligence officer. And I'm sure that he, she's probably picked something up from him over the years. Yep. No, absolutely. Eric says, uh, force therapy sounds just as hokey as force healing. You know what? And it was a hokey religion until it wasn't. (laughs) It's all real. Yeah, exactly. I just think that there's, I mean, we've, we've pigeonholed them into powers. We're starting to see stuff in the high Republic. We've never seen before for sure. Yeah, Yeah. Um, communications officer is code for cia oh, maybe, maybe yeah it's probably it's probably true i mean there's probably tears to the isb before you get your white tunic yeah uh yeah 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 oh, wait a second we got all your gophers in there too right did i put it in here oh here it is i did <laughs> sorry i just needed to look ahead yeah, yeah don't skip over that oh no, i don't want to <laughs> Is there any more we want to chew on on this slide before I go ahead? No, I think this is it. We've got nothing but speculation left. Well, in what might just be one of the best pop culture in-jokes and in the most meta way, we now have what I consider to be the absolute best, best, best version of this now famous internet meme when we realize that, hey, come to the dark side we have cookies <laughs> and now we really do yep. we really do they're not travel biscuits they're cookies <laughs> it turns yeah. out she likes the yellow ones yeah i thought she liked the red ones <laughs> it's a misdirect nobody likes cherries. everything was a lie but there it is like the you talk ones. about that that look right yeah yeah there it is it's the same remember i was saying in the in the courtyard back at amnesty housing she is a very different uh expression about her when she's not facing him yeah and that's that is a sample of, of what we saw in the courtyard. Yeah. Like she is cold and ruthless. <clears throat> All right. <sighs> Dark side. We have cookies. Oh, by the way, I did uh same as before. I did uh, tweet John Favreau again with uh, this image. And I asked him if this scene was constructed with that in mind. I haven't heard anything. Pro- days, we probably won't. We One probably won't. Days. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> All right, shifting gears, um, uh, coming out of hyperspace, Din Djarin's N1 Starfighter and Bo-Katan's Gauntlet Fighter uh, head towards the planet that houses the Mandalorian Covert. Now, on the way down, Bo tells, uh, uh, sorry, Mando tells Bo that she is his guest and it would be in uh, her best interest if she just kept her helmet on. Now, standing at the mouth of the cave, Paz Vizsla watches as Mando, Bo, and Grogu approach. Um, nothing earth shattering here. We get a small continuity error where suddenly the dome is back on the droid socket, but Andy, yeah, maybe you sleuth this uh, one out. Maybe it's a recycled asset from when he was taking approach on that big gator, the the gator, the gator turtle that I believe we've got some footage hanging around that we can use. We're going to the same planet. Might as well use it. I think that totally, that totally tracks Hmm. Because it's the only place in the episode where it appears. I went back and went through the whole Starfighter battle. Yeah, it's, it's gone. It's from never there. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good for you. I'll call that uh, you know myth busted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At the mouth of the cave, Paz Vizsla is joined by several other members of the covert as he stops Mando and Bo from entering. Now he calls both of them apostate. Mando says that he's a tone, uh, while Bo backs him up as his witness. Paz still isn't convinced, so Mando pulls the vial of the living waters as his proof. And inside uh, the covert, Paz announces to the armorer that Dinjarn claims to have atoned. Bo confirms the baptism of sorts, and Mando hands the armorer the vial of the living waters. 
She takes the vial to the cooling bath and uh, the armorer pours the liquid into the vat. And seeing that green, a familiar green luminescence, we finally learned that that is what she's been pouring in every time we see her forge something. Mm-hmm. The armorer recognizes and accepts Mando's proof and declares him redeemed. She also declares that by creed, so is Bo-Katan. And even though Bo willingly admits that she doesn't walk the way of the Mandalore, she is still welcome because she hasn't removed her helmet since bathing in the living waters herself. It's true. With a couple of hearty, this is the ways, uh, this is the way, the covert welcomes both newly reminted Mandalorians, all except Paz Vizsla, of course, who remains conspicuously silent and standing off in the corner. Mm-hmm. And with that, we cut to black. This is a couple things here. The, uh, the, the mythosaur piss in the water <laughs> has a similar effect. Like we've seen it before and, and um, yeah. I don't know if we've ever pointed it out, but it has a similar effect to what, when Palpatine's using Sith magic on water, like scrying. Uh, he does it with Dooku to yeah. track down mother Talzin. He does it. Oh yeah. Uh, to gain access to the world between worlds. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I was joking. I was like, uh, hey, Lauren, want to start a nerd fight? I was like, what, what's, what would win in a fight, Mithril or Baskar? <laughs> and, and, and she said, Mithril. I was like, no way. She's like, well, it's magic. And I'm like, well, what's, the, what's in the water? Yeah, really. Like, uh, I, I saw a video uh, where a blacksmith said that, like, literally, uh, when, when quenching uh, yeah. armor and weaponry, um, different minerals in the water will give you different effects, different colors, different things like salt water, like flushing it with salt water is different than flushing it with, with pure water. So right, right. I mean, you know, I chalk it up to, you know, in like mineral content or something like that, that you know, I definitely wanted to talk. But it about explains that. why not just anybody can make Beskar. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about it in the sense that in the foraging sense, and I'm not, I'm not a Smith, so I don't really mm. know. And we are talking space wizards and laser swords. So sure, sure. The, the, the question is, is the, is the anointing or the, the pouring of the living waters into the quench bath, is it ceremonial or is it practical? I think it's Probably practical. Both. I, I would think both. I'm mm. completely mind blown by it either way. Yeah. And then my I mean, other question is. How much living waters did the armor have on her to begin with? Well, she really wasn't. I mean, she was making selective pieces. The forge is relatively That's small. True. Yeah, she hasn't. She's had to making make batches. New you know. stuff later. Well, just for Dinjarin alone, she made uh, a chess piece, two pauldrons, uh, and like basically, I mean, if you've got your season one uh, Mandalorian action figure hmm. next to your season two, you can see how much she made for just one person. Yeah. No, it's true. And he, I know that he, he brought her, up, the, he, he did bring in Cam the Beskar <laughs> for, yeah, he may have provided the metal, but the question isn't about the metal. It's like, if the water is now an integral part of this process, where did that come from? I, but if it's like holy water, a drop will turn the whole thing into that yeah. kind of water. But we and see, then when so, you're done, scoop it back up. Uh, you couldn't do that. It's already mixed. I I don't believe that that vat, that the whole, the whole bath is all living water. Did she use the whole vial? No, she didn't. But I mean, no. the whole like dropping it in, she didn't do that either. It's no, a she, generous she, bloop. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, fire and it's first an pack. example, right? It's generous every time. I get it. It's to tell us that that is a part of it. But <laughs> the generous pours just make me go, whoa, that's a lot. Like, yeah. where are you stashing this stuff? I'm sure it has something to do with, with you know, or else the, like you said, we said last episode, or else they would have done more than make money out of it. Uh, yeah. If the Empire knew? Right. Oh my God! Would they? Armor. For sure, they would have. All they could do was melt it down and and let it solidify into ingots. Yep. Yeah. She still has to add this to temper it into what into armor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the ingot, you know. I mean, I guess the ingot does save uh, grief cargo from being shot. Oh, it does. Yes, it does. It does. So, I have Eric questions says, about that uh, too. Yes, but she was shocked when he brought back all that raw beskar. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Cam Tono was worth. Excuse me. Excuse but me. if we act or if we apply a little bit of real world science, like we're seeing in uh, the Curse of Oak Island right now, yep, they're finding uh, gold and silver like levels within the water that they're testing. Oh yeah. So okay. if you're pulling that water out of a out of a Beskar mine, yeah, would you not have some Beskar over the however many thousand years like soluble Beskar? Yeah. 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 And then you temper it with that, you're like double hitting with Beskar. Well, that's that's a possibility true. too. Yeah. 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 I just found it interesting that we finally get an explanation for this after, you know, what three seasons of we've watched her forge, what three or four times yeah. she's poured the stuff in and we're like, what's that? Yeah. You know, um, I, I gotta be honest. Never thought one that second that it was the living waters. Never, no. never occurred to me. I just figured it was some kind of like, like a magic it's the secret sauce i just didn't know what the secret sauce was it would make sense like you know that 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 not all of them are making this stuff like there's the armor that's true yeah Yeah. and there's a finite like yeah i was just gonna say that there's a finite amount many asking for armor yeah right there's a finite amount although she looks like she's randomly swelling the ranks with plastic helmets here and we do yeah (laughs) (laughs) we do accept that not all mandalorian armor is made of beskar it's whatever she can the even Forge Din in the first season time. had a, a yeah. short trooper pauldron. He's still got the, the back of the the back of his uh, glove is still the short trooper glove. Yeah, yeah. with the yellow triangle on it. So, so maybe just just by tempering it with, you know, liquid Beskar, maybe it ups the factor just enough. Perhaps. Maybe. Have, did you get a? Did you put a slide with the uh, uh, Gideon's uh, troops? The the. I did not with the uh, the new rumored uh, troops. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I so. did not. I want to stay out of rumor territory a little bit longer until we got a little bit more sure. to, to chew. Certainly on looks to me like he might have cracked the Beskar formula. Uh, formula. <laughs> well, that I'm gonna I'm gonna I gotta do I do a slide though of Gideon though later on. Um, mm. It's sort of in my final thoughts. Actually, we can bring that up here now. Because now we're sort of at the end of the show. We can kind of freeform this wherever we want to go. Actually, we uh, yeah, let's get that first. Um, already talking about the who's who in the zoo and who is orchestrating all this. Those are our main contenders for the season. Um, there's been all kinds of stuff uh, so far this last week about uh, Gideon making a grand return as the overarching villain for the season. So I'm not ruling out a Thrawn cameo for the end of the season, but I mean... I am definitely interested to see how he comes back into this. And now that being said, I asked you guys offline outside of the show, and I want to ask the audience now, has anybody considered that Gideon himself is a Mandalorian? It's a good, it's a good, that's a good thought. 
I, I and we had paused it a little while ago. Someone had said, and I, I think it was in one of the chats. Do you think he might be force sensitive? And it just occurred to oh, me just this second, yep. having him diametrically opposed to the the ISB uniform of Thrawn there, yeah. that he dresses more like an Inquisitor. <laughs> he really does. Than either an officer <laughs> really or a mob or an yes. ISB agent. Like looking at him right there, right yeah, now, with the red background, I'm like, wow, he's dressed exactly like an Inquisitor. I think the belt really plays into that too, right? The, mm. the cloak and the... But yeah, uh, on that, that's really on the nose. Why we didn't see him uh, do anything? I don't know. Maybe that's the big reveal for this season. Hmm. Doug says that uh, Din sold his soul to get his pure armor. Yeah, he did. <laughs> In some ways, he did. Yeah, he broke his uh, bounty hunter code. He did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he sure did. All right. Well, let's let's go back here for a second because I want to go back to the uh, the the white mythosaur in the room, and uh, I just want to start by. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to pull this up for you. Um, this is our little uh, Mandalorian to-do list. <laughs> Obtain the dark saber in single combat. Have we done that? Yep. Yes, we have. Uh, bathe in the living waters. Have we done that? Yep. Yes, we have. And bring proof back to the armor that we did that. Have we done that? Mm-hmm. Yes, we have. Well, we also know from last season with the singular combat between Paz Vizsla and uh, Din Djarin that the armorer believes in the Mandalorian lore that the dark saber is the key to the rulership of Mandalore. So the, the, the mythosaur in the room really is, I mean, Mandalore is standing in the room with them. Nobody so literally does she believe that? Or is she just telling him that? So I don't know. Have we considered that she just sent him to the minds of Mandalore just to get more juice or to get rid of him? No, just to get more water. I never even considered that, but well, I, all she said was bring back proof. She didn't say, you know, bring me back a jug. True. Well, she didn't I mean, say bring me back proof in the form of water from the living waters. Well, yeah. That's the, I know. Like she didn't spell it out, but I, I mean, I, if I he really, ripped, <laughs> what if, what if he ripped that commemorative plaque off the obelisk and brought that back? <laughs> brought that back. I was there. Look, it's the plaque. This Here's is, plaque this is Beskar, but it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for water. That's right. But I mean, I mean, it was about the water, so it made yeah, sense. like I didn't. That he did bring a sample. Of I water. didn't go. Hmm, that's weird that he's taking a sample with him. I knew exactly where that was. Going. I don't think she's lied as a spiritual leader. Now, no, I don't want to. But get into she's that also anything, but. What, what I was saying before that there are two factions here. There are two ideological beliefs. Yeah, and she, 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 she's not following. She lets the she holds the friggin' thing in her hand. She yeah, lets she it come it and go. Yep, yep, she's go. got the knowledge of it. But she lets it come and go out of her grasp. She excommunicates Again, though, him while he's the, the the ruler of Mandalore. So what? What she's in the mythosaur camp. What? what I'm saying is she's in the mythosaur oh, camp. A, that's an interesting point. Then, so that's going to put uh, that's going to put our two ladies potentially in direct conflict with each mm-hmm. other. Have we considered yeah. that? I, I have. The in bow fact. and the armor are going to be at odds. I have. In oh, fact, I, I, the, I the don't, ideological differences. I don't. You might not get the. Uh, you know, here's how it probably goes down in, in my head. If this is hand head cannon or speculation yeah, sure, or, sure, or yeah, but Din loses the sword in non-lethal combat to Paz Vizsla. Maybe uh, okay, he's drugged yeah. or tricked or some, yeah. but he loses yeah. the sword. Um, Grogu tames the mythosaur and then they, uh, the, <laughs> it's not very well thought out, but the, you see the factions. Then you have, yeah. Now the, the the opposite they have the opposite 
faction's magical weapon, right? True. So it, it it really does become about what do you believe in? Uh, what is Mythos a real Mandalorian? Trump's, yeah, Mythos or yes, Trump's, uh, Trump's Darksaber. Yeah. I, in my opinion, if we're going to use the, the full scope of the lore, yeah. Mythosaur Trump's Darksaber. But what happens when the Mythosaur Rider also has the Darksaber? Well, oh, and man. so I don't think you're going to get that. That's like the rumored Bo-Katan series. I, oh, interesting. Interesting. Eric says, there is a lot of poster art this season of all four of them. Din, Bo, Paz, and the armor. Oh, yep. Yep. Uh, and by that, what are you, what are you implying by that? That they are going to forge ahead as one big happy Mandalorian family? Like there's also a poster, a, a poster of the Babu Frick characters too. So. And Peli yeah. Mono finally got hey! and perhaps, perhaps they will be the Mandalorian. <laughs> I don't know. So we, you know, uh, we, we can't read too much into the posters. I said that there is still something to go between these two kids. And I still think that there's something to that. If we, I can't see that that we don't see Ragnar come back in some in some capacity, especially yeah. when his ceremony was under the Vizla, the clan Vizla flag. Yeah, yeah. I fully I fully, I do. I think that like I said, season four will be about Grogu sitting on the throne yeah. and usurpers challenging him in the form of that's of an clan Vizla. That's an interesting yeah. one. Because now, it brings hey, back like Death Watch is a viable faction. It it it, it you oh, know yeah, yeah. Is that something that we really want? Like that whole like well, Bo's already said they're killing each other for Satine's no reason. Satine's I know Satine was a pacifist, but Satine advocated for another way. Mm-hmm. And then you had Bo who was radicalized as part of the Death Watch, who was completely fine to just live the warrior way. Right. Yeah. So I think she's already been redeemed. What I think now is that she's broken. Do you see? Do you see it going the other way though? Is there is there a, a, a version of this where where Bo-Katan does adopt the way of the Mandalore and she's now one of them? I can see in her spirit? meeting them in the middle, like because she again thought, she's got that card to play. Like I saw yeah, the Mythosaur. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that maybe she's still a bit narcissistic. I again, like I said at the beginning of the show. Her entire arc since we met her all the way back in the Clone Wars has been about ruling Mandalore. She even says she she says it um in an interview. Again, the actress spilling the beans a little too much, possibly. Yeah. But she says, yeah, like yeah. everything that Bo Katan is about now is is about her guilt over her sister's death. That's and her involvement in that. So if there's remorse there how better to honor your sister than to Adopting carry her. to carry on in her steps well and yeah. this is it and she failed the first time so whether she's right right narcissistic right. enough to think that she can maybe i mean she wields the thing like a demon well yeah right but i like mean that goes back to a non-force sensitive wielding a light any lightsaber yeah you know that that uh, lesson that sabine got from kanan jaros Right, but she yeah. certainly she certainly believes in herself. <laughs> if that, that if yeah, that's what it's she's, right, like she's that's convic- the key. It would be Din, interesting. Din is though. fighting the saber. He's fighting yeah. himself. He's still conflicted. If she'd fought that, she's the true cyborg after she had seen the mythosaur. I wonder if it would have been a different. Would well, it have been heavier this is it, for her? This is it. Wouldn't so, that be a tell? A future episode where she, for some reason, Din is incapacitated and she's so, got to pick it up and she can't. What does our title oh. mean though? What does our title mean? The is, convert. Is, yeah. Who's converting? Right. What's Bo-Katan. Converting? Bo-Katan yeah, is yeah. the convert, but it's not a convert. It's not, it's a, it's a, it's an ethical change. It's a, it's a, 
it's a morality question because she's the only one that knows the truth. Yeah. That there's a mythosaur. Yeah, she is. She's the the only one. You don't need the the dark saber anymore. That's a bauble. It's a sigil to what's actually beneath the mines there. We can literally uh, Luke Skywalker that thing now. Yeah. Just toss it over our shoulder. You, you, you really could. I think you'll, I think everybody wants to see the rider wield the weapon, but I really think that you're going to see the, those there's two ideologies there, the weapon and and the mythosaur. And I think you're going to, I think you'll see a faction up before you see a, before you see everything come together. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars. Ah, Yeah. 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 Now, Hank, you had asked me to include a slide of a couple of characters. I'm going to put that up for you. You want to take us through your thoughts around the idea of these two characters? So I don't know if our viewers know much about Rook Cast. So back in the comics in the 80s, in the Marvel comics, there was a character, Jodo Cast. He was actually a member of the Rebellion. Wasn't Mandalorian at all, but uh, killed a Mandalorian, stole his armor, painted it like Boba Fett, and And then impersonated impersonated Boba Boba Fett Fett, for a long time. Uh, until Boba Fett came back to life, killed him, and, and uh, yeah, and killed him. <laughs> so, anyway, they, they sort of canonize uh, at least the name. So, the, Rook the family, cast here, yeah. and um, I, I don't have any super good reasons except for there's a few visual cues. Um, yep. So, for those people that don't know, Rook Cast was the uh, she was a lieutenant under uh, oh my goodness, uh, Gar Saxon. Gar Saxon. Yeah. And she was actually the the uh, the second command of the Maldalorians, the the yeah. the Mandalorian Mandalorian super commandos super when commandos, Maul was the yeah. ruler. And it's all about the armors, uh, the like the palette, uh, like right there. I'll the definitely will, I'll give you the color palette for sure. Okay. It's uh, um, very very similar. Um, the the horns on her new helmet. We did speculate on that yeah. back in the right. So. It just, it sort of fits. Uh, and, and the weirdest little other quirk is that the two actresses, I don't have their names off the top of my head, but the two actresses who Emily Swallow both characters. And, uh, and, I don't uh, know who, I don't but, know who. Was it Vanessa Marshall? Uh, maybe. Uh, they're both American actresses putting on British accents. Yeah, better than Carrie I, Fisher. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't know if there's any any legs to it, but it's an interesting thought. I think it's more interesting than, than uh, Sabine's mom. I think it it really yeah, I don't really because uh her and Bo Katan have a real real uh score to settle. Absolutely they do. I mean right? that could be this huge reveal, like you know, maybe the armor in private, you know, will take her helmet off and it'll be the <gasps> it's you. I think that would be real cool and 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 another deep dive. And I I I don't think it's as big a stretch as any other character. A lot of people are saying if it's not her just let it be some rando that's just as cool but uh you know i'm okay with it them not being the same Uh, mind you uh rook is another one of those uh characters that is in the wind that we we don't have a canonical death for this character no perfect age yeah yeah. perfect uh mens rea um and the the palette and the the helmet style it's all it all uh it all lines up for me so we are we are plus one for the armor as possibly being Rook cast, and if that is the case, then there's history there between Rook and Bo that time. could play into more dramatic tension as we move forward. Big time. Yeah. I mean, Bo Katan is a cautionary tale. She tells that it is, like yeah. it's from the inside. That is true. Yeah. 
Red Swenson had a follow-up to his uh, poster comment. He does. Yeah. Uh, Eric is saying it implies that the four of them are all major players in the season. <laughs> the four of them being obviously Bo, yeah. Din, and the Babu Baz, Freaks. And, 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 hey, hey, hey. Sorry. I'm, every time. And the I, IG-88 statue. There's a <laughs> uh, um, perhaps the most polarizing episode of the series so far. I don't get it. <laughs> And at the beginning of this, Hank, you said, but we need this. We yes. And I agree. We Not need everything this. is yeah. going on on Mandalore. Yeah. Other thing, no. other wheels are in motion. No. And we, we all wanted to, to know, effective. we all wanted to know what was going on on that sort of that other side that, that, you know, it, there, there were so many little things that were voiced, like just ex, ex, exposition. Yeah. We, we, we have two rumors about what happened to Gideon, but we know they're either death or that he escaped, and it's much more likely that he escaped. Yeah, he's in the wind there somewhere, right? too. Almost, almost assuredly. Yeah. 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 Next week, it is, uh, like I said before, we're going from the longest episode to the shortest episode at uh, just over, I think it's rumored, just over 30 minutes. Um, it's, uh, um, Foundling. it's called The Foundling, and co-written. it's co-written by John and Dave. Almost certainly a grogu centric episode will we get the answer how did grogu get out of the jedi temple it happened away <laughs> where there's a dave filoni co-writing credit there's probably some ahsoka <laughs> there could be that as well um other possibilities we can we can revisit sort of all the 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 couple of um uh, the barris offie reference that we got yep. from before uh, passing her quarters in the in the temple there's a rumor that uh Mace Windu may be the one to have gotten him out. We've talked about R2 yeah. because of the, you know, the way that uh, Star Wars is framed through the eyes of R2-D2. Mm. I mean, these are yeah. all sort of potential. Uh, there's a Rosario Dawson tweet I didn't uh, memorize, but she seemed to be teasing something too on Twitter. So I'll have to go and look at that. Yeah, hmm. I have to go and look at that. Let us know what you guys think. What do you think is coming uh, in the weeks to come with the Mandalorian as we, uh, oh, are we at the halfway point yet? Yes, we are, aren't we? Uh, how many episodes? No, I think we're only three or four. I was three. Oh, sorry. I was so Star Wars this week. It was so heavy uh, in, the, in the prep process. Yeah, sorry. Bad Batch, we're halfway. Bad Batch, we're like we're, three episodes away. We're, yeah, him. we're at the end. Well, we still got a double episode. So. True. So technically two weeks away. <sighs> Both episodes this week, uh, sorry, between last week's uh, Bad Batch, the last couple of Bad Batches, and this week's Mandalorian, all sort of funneling towards yep. that what's happening in the sequel era. And so all that stuff that we talked about before, recontextualizing the sequels. Yeah. 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 looks like make them worth watching. It's coming to, (laughs) it's coming to fruition, you know, all that and a little bit of, Hey, hey! cause I have, that's never going to get old for me. Yeah. I love it. We have to go back there and find out if they fix the droid without the part. (laughs) If I can get you the part, can you fix the droid? But now we've already, but we've already been to the bottom, the basement of Mandalore. We don't need it. Just means he has to kill another. Well, no, but he's still friends. They're still, you know, if he goes back there, it just means he's got to encounter and kill another IG unit. I, oh, that's maybe IG 88 has survived Mm. in, uh, in the new canon. Who knows? Mm. It'd be a good way to get, uh, another IG droid out. And <laughs> more action right figures, there. another a repaint, <laughs> <laughs> another uh, sorry, another uh, what am I Maybe gonna have a red arm. Easter egg? <sighs> Where so all that bounty hunter action that we didn't get in the book of Boba Fett, 
could we like have a bounty hunter team up and IG-88 is one of the them? The bounty hunter Maybe. comic, guys. The Marvel bounty oh, hunter comic is so I good. Know. I know. All right. Well, guys, what do you think? Uh, you think we're uh, good to wrap it up here? I think, I think so. so. I think uh, it was a long, was a long episode, man. It was a very long uh, prep process for me this week. So I Lots apologize. I apologize if I've missed any major Easter eggs. Mm. If I have, do let me know if there's anything I should have talked about that we didn't. And, our our uh, buddy at uh, Screen Crush, not you know, we're not not oh, naming yeah, anybody, yeah, yeah. but he uh, I <laughs> saw a panic. Channel. I saw a panic TikTok where he had oh, forgot really? he had missed the whole opera scene, Palpatine what? theme, and yeah, he, he he had to like do. He's like, oh, I I can't believe I effed this up, and he is <laughs> almost like an apology video and recovery. He's like. I write all the Easter eggs and I can't believe I missed this one. He was like swearing in it. It was, Oh man. I beat you. <laughs> your mom. <laughs> Bad. Your mom jokes. Uh, anyway. Okay. Enough about, enough about other YouTubers. We don't care what they're doing. We care nope. what we're doing. It was yeah. funny. We care what we're doing. Uh, shout out to our friends. They're not our, they don't know that they're our friends. Shout out to our friends over at uh, Krypton to Alderaan. Mm. An awesome little, mostly star Wars podcast, just like us. Mm-hmm. Mostly star Wars. All right, guys, do come back and see us on Tuesday night when we uh, sit down again and we hang out for a uh, random fandom where we can talk about uh, sort of the entertainment. The other non-Star Wars. Yeah, stuff. the non-Star Wars. <laughs> there might be some Star Wars in there. I can't Maybe. I can't tell this far ahead where it's going to be. You never know. There's all these icons here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a bunch of icons there. Um, when we uh, do random fandom on Tuesday nights, that is a call-in show. You are more than welcome to call us up. Tell us what you want to say. Tell us about the news that's important to you so we can all uh, have a, a discussion about that together. And, and er, who, who's it going to be? Who's going to be the first actual functioning call-in? Not you or I? No. Not mm-hmm. Rolf the dog? No. Okay. We, I don't we, know. We'll test it again and it'll be ready, but who who's it going to yeah, be? Yeah, yeah. Eric's still super lonely as the only patron. Right, the only patron on our Patreon. Thank yeah. you very much for that. We appreciate your continued support. Um, We'd love to put your name in lights, guys. We're almost at the point where that's making a difference, uh, where we we might actually get a month's worth of our uh, streaming platform paid for. It's <laughs> coffee money. Uh, do check out the uh, our merch shop. Uh, I believe we are seventy plus designs in the in the merch shop. Um, tons of of uh, pop culture inspired designs like this one um, that you may recognize, including all of the uh, all of the sorry all of the logos for our uh, review series yeah and uh love to hear from you uh anyway that you want to talk to us well okay not anyway but you know what i mean <laughs> the <show>. no chatbots <laughs> nobody tried to sell us anything on twitch this week no <laughs> that'll come tuesday that's right promote it here um i mentioned it a while back i'm going to mention it again now um do keep in mind folks there is going to come a time where we are going to uh, push our streams away from uh facebook and Twitter, and we would really love it if you came over and joined us over on YouTube. Um, we feel like that is the best way to uh, maximize what we are doing. That being said, we're not there yet. We will still continue to uh, to uh, stream to Facebook and uh, for the time being, but that is on the radar that we will be winding that down. Twitch is almost uh, dead in the water right now. It, it makes very little sense for us to keep streaming there when nobody's watching over there so yeah we want to be where you guys are uh that being said uh, if you have ideas for the show hit us up fandompower3 at uh, gmail.com 
hit us up on the social media, whether it's uh, Facebook, Instagram, or uh, Twitter. Love to hear your thoughts about the show, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Um, please be kind. <laughs> <laughs> until then guys we'll see you tuesday night uh and we'll be back again uh this time next week don't forget 12 noon uh bad batch at 12 noon the mandalorian at 6 p.m and uh, random phantom tuesday nights at six until the next Ooh. video guys for phantom power my name is wes i'm andy i'm hank and we will catch you on the next one guys bye for now this is the way this is the way Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms.